name is Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore welcome to the show for this week. Adam Shanahan is texting away on his phone. I'm actually preparing my notes for the podcast this week. I so. didn't, I wasn't inferring that you weren't doing anything work related. I, just you, <laughs> I was factually accurate that you were texting away on your phone. Yeah, that's true. Well, I was more scrolling through, but yeah, you're you're not, you're not far off the mark. Scrolling's Dave. worse, much worse. That yeah. implies that you're not paying attention. So, but, but of course, it will all pay dividends in the end. This is how professional it is and I'm delighted to welcome, uh, making her a no encore debut to the show. It's uh, the wonderful, the amazing, uh, multi-experimental artist, singer, songwriter, you you name it. I, I we, we had this discussion. I don't know. I don't know how to introduce people anymore for what they do. But a wonderful musician, a great talent. It is the great Nisha Roo. Oh wow. well, that was that was the nicest introduction I think I've ever had on a podcast. So appreciate it. I stumbled and I bumbled, but I got there in the end. I, I felt the heart. How the hell are you? We're going to talk all about lots of stuff on this episode. We're going to be doing top five kind of nostalgia slash teen soundtracks. Mm. That's your your selection. We're yeah, going to do. We got a new section, um, and well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk all about um, what you're up to in just a second. Because sorry, Adam does have an important thing to get into this uh, intro. Yeah, so I just wanted to. Um I just wanted to shout out the um, Irish Artists for Palestine group that has been formed um, recently, and they've been very key in assisting with the uh, getting together of a lot of artists in a lot of different locations across the country, making, uh, you know, putting on gigs in a, a plethora of different venues, of all of which I will get into, at least the ones that I've seen um, posted on the page and posted kind of out uh, at large. And, um yeah, I think that uh, it's just worth a bit of a shout out because it's all for a good cause. So um, I've got a list of upcoming gigs that uh, are not sold out. The ones that are sold out, I have purposely left off the list, but um, you can check it out. It's Irish dot, at irish.artists.for.palestine. So Irish Artists for Palestine, but with full stops instead of the spaces on Instagram. They're posting all about the... Um, all about the gigs that are out. So in November 27th in Black Box Belfast, we have Pillow Queen, Saint Sister, Joshua Burnside, Soak and many more. Um, November 29th in Crowbar Terrace in Dublin, Vatican Jail, Adam Garrett, friend of mine, Tola McKay and Cable Boy are playing there. Um, November 30th in Cool Ra House in Sligo, Moxie, Steve Cooney and Dermot Byrne, D. Armstrong of Keela, Sky Atlas and more are playing. 1st of December in St. Uh, Cumgill's Unad Eileen Howell John Spillane Pauline Scanlon Bioga and more are playing um, 3rd December in the Devonish Belfast Kneecap The Rapperies uh, Horton Sinead McKenna and more are playing there and in the, on the 3rd of December in Sandino's Derry Merrill Streak Cherum Touts and more are playing I said and more because the lists are generally quite large and there's like 6 or 7 bands on each one so I yeah. just thought like go and check it out at Irish Artists for Palestine on Instagram Um you can see if there's anything that takes your fancy. Yeah, fair. I mean, it's it's one of those weird things as well. Like, I mean, we don't usually do gig guides on the show, but as you say, it's native of a good cause. There's also that massive one in the three arena. Of yeah. course, yes. That's the Lancome Mary Wallopers. Um, I don't know who else is playing that. There's a lot of people playing it. Was it. Moved from, uh, it was moved from the Olympia, Lisa I think. Neil's yeah, Lisa, Lisa O'Neill's on it as well. Yeah, yeah. it's the, it's a huge, that's going to be that's a huge be gig. Massive. Yeah, it sold out in minutes, I think that one did. And that was yeah. kind of where the demand for the three arena came from. And that sold out. So, um, yeah, it's fair crazy, play. Amazing. Yeah, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Clara Tracy and PCRO on Friday in Belfast as well. Oh, fantastic. Okay. Um, I think, I don't know where, I have to double check where that is, but that's on uh, Friday night. Absolutely fantastic. Awesome. As of this podcast dropping this Friday. 
Yes. Okay, yes. so today. As, so as today. listeners, so are today. Right yeah. on if you're in Belfast, yeah. go for it right now. <laughs> if you're in Belfast, get out there. Uh, Nisha, of course, you have some upcoming shows of your own, which we can get to the plugging of. But first, let's talk about your brand new album. So it's available today, as of this podcast dropping. Yeah. The physical, beautiful vinyl is in the world. Yes, uh, a blue and pink marbled vinyl. Uh, gatefold, very expensive <laughs> to my detriment <laughs> uh, piece of nice merchandise that I'm very proud of. And it's the first thing I've ever had on vinyl. So this is a real uh, big moment for me to to have a record uh, that I can hold in my hands. It's, you know, something I'm really beautiful. Um, so yeah, I'm very excited. And uh the vinyl release is really the the release for me. So, yeah. Well, the day is here, and we'll take a listen to what it sounds like. This, of course, it'll sound better on vinyl, so go out and get that. The album, of course, is called Emotionally Magnificent. I love the title. We'll come to that. This track is called Nobody Can Make Me Do What I Don't Want to Do. Right, uh, we're back now from from that wonderful escape right there. Emotionally magnificent. I love the title. Oh, thank you. It's something like I found myself going, yeah, I, I can relate to that. And then I was like, what well, can I? I don't know. Maybe it's a lot. Uh, it rolls off the tongue. It's it's snappy, but it contains it contains multitude. Uh, emotionally magnificent. Uh, yeah. When did you decide upon that moniker and why? Um, well, after I kind of uh, so this album is sort of a combination of. Uh, two sets of writing. One was uh, the EP Sick Girlfriend, which I released um, a few years back, which was really centered on sort of mental health and my kind of journey with anxiety and depression and suicidal ideation, all of those sort of fun things. Um, And post that, uh, a lot of writing I had reflecting on that. And um, I went to a lot of therapy and uh, Emotionally Magnificent is this, uh, it was something I heard, it was it was a phrase that I heard used in all places in the office and uh, there's a line where he says, uh, I'm not shallow, I'm emotionally magnificent, um, Michael Scott, and I thought that was really funny but that phrase just stayed with me and it kind of made me feel like is this what happens when you complete therapy? Like, do you suddenly become emotionally magnificent? Do you do you transcend? And I was one, like, I kind of thought it was like funny and weirdly rang true of all of this, like almost like, I think being an artist, you're constantly self-reflecting and there's almost something uh, borderline narcissistic in that. And <laughs> you kind of come through and it's like, oh, well, now I've transcended. I've, I've, I've worked out all my issues. I finally reached the mountain. I've, I'm, I'm fixed. fixed. I'm cured. I yeah. did it. <laughs> um, and so I kind of thought, well, that'll be a good good uh, title for the record. Yeah. One of the reasons why I love it is because of the idea where I'm like, I'm like, 
it's an oxymoron is that the word i mean like because i'm just like like it's impossible right like i mean you're saying they're you know completing therapy and like i've completed therapy quote unquote numerous times because i've had numerous therapists and even right now i'm at a stage with my own therapy where like i've found myself being like oh i I think i I think i'm done but i'm not done like because i'm there's no way i'm done (laughs) but i've never done (laughs) but i've hit the wall where i'm like i'm like i kind of feel like i've gone as far as i can go here and it's not even a criticism of my therapist i love my therapist he's great but like yeah i don't know i just that struggle I think you have between like, I put all this work in, I've hit this point of it and I do feel quote unquote, not better, but, but you know what I mean? Like you do make yeah. strides. It can be, I, I find self-assessment very, very difficult as well. Like, like I, I kind of like it need, I, I need to be away from a situation to be like, Oh no, that actually did help. But like, I, that's why I love the title because of just like how much it means and how much it doesn't mean, you know? It, yeah, exactly. It resonated with me for all kinds of <laughs> fucked up reasons. So Well, I'm glad. I mean, that's, that was kind of how I felt when I kind of, uh, related to that phrase and felt like, oh yeah, that's it. But you know, it's it's funny with therapy. It's like that thing, you know, you never, you're never done. You never really transcend. Um, there's that idea almost like when you go, when they they say when you start running out of things to talk about that that's where the real work begins. That's why I want to <laughs> run away because I I find myself being like, you know, like this isn't as free flowy as it used to be. Yeah, you're going out of crisis mode, and then they're like, you're like, oh well, now we get into he's uh, talking about child like drilling it, yeah, drilling into stuff, and I'm like. No, I think I think we're done here, Eamon. Yeah. <laughs> Shout out to Eamon. Who I was going to say, do you want me to beat that? No, name no, no, no. I don't think I don't think he listens to the show. He gets enough whenever I do deign to show up. So. His last always... doesn't listen to the show now. To be yeah. fair, that's his true. Loss. That's true. Yeah. Do you ever wonder if your therapist like looks stalks you online? Well, just like finds out like if you're doing okay, like looks at your socials. <laughs> I'd be if I was a therapist. It, I mean, there has to be something against it, but you'd almost be like. I hope they're. I haven't heard them from them in a while. I've tweeted they're... about him before on occasion, just like kind of funny stuff he said or whatever. Like, and same with like my doctor. That's yeah. the one I really. I, I wonder if my doctor like knows that I continually reference the fact that he only ever wears shorts. But like, you know, that's an exclusive <laughs> thing that's always happened. Um, yeah, I guess, as you say, it, it might violate some kind of oath. Probably you know? does. Yeah, they I'd prob- say they. But maybe they that means don't. that they do, but they can't tell you about oh, it. Yeah, within um, the inner circle, they're allowed. Yeah, you know, with it behind certain closed doors, but it can't leave. It's a phone that can't leave the office. <laughs> but what about the what about the great cliche Nisha that like you know music making is therapy while you're also oh, while you're also going God. to therapy. So like, um, the argument that music is cathartic, absolutely. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of things. I kind of uh, I've gone deep down a deep well. Thinking a lot about the role of art in and mental health and therapy and, you know, obviously we hate the idea that um, having mental health issues or whatever aids your creativity. I, you know, that trip is just is quite yeah. tired. James Blake was especially, I think a few years ago, kind of like did his best to put a stop to that. But yeah. of course, you know, it, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like we now talk about it in certain ways and yeah. it, it, the backlash against the backlash and all that kind of stuff. So, but, but I do, you know, obviously I do find catharsis. I, I think that, um, for me, writing is, wanting to reflect on personal experiences but also connect to other people like it, it i always get the urge to write something when i can't find a specific song that i think like fits my my feeling at that moment so <laughs> in a weird way it's like i go searching for this catharsis somewhere else and it's only when i can't find that catharsis that i'm like 
well, I guess I'll, I'll write the song for myself <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, it'll be specifically tailored to to my to my struggle, whatever that is at that particular time or my reflection. Um, but it takes, I find it quite hard to write in that crisis moment. Like when I'm depressed or when I've had a, a really serious experience that might inspire me to write about it later, it takes time for me to process that. And it's only when I'm through the kind of process moment that I can kind of sit down and go, okay, it's going to come out now. Not when I'm like in in the crisis, not when I'm in that moment of, um, you know, really overwhelming emotion. Um, that's only a few rare times have I been able to write in that state. It's interesting because like, I've always kind of thought of you as like, I'm, is the, I'm trying to find the right word here, not like a, ch- a challenging artist, a provocative artist, but I, <laughs> but someone who I think you like, you don't hide behind things. You know, I think you inhabit characters and sometimes you kind of push the boundaries and, you know, kind of force people to kind of reckon with ideas. But like you know, going into this album, I was kind of like, okay, I was like, well, I was like, how, you know, how, how heavy and dark will this be? And then like, I listened to it and I was like, no, I was like, yeah, there's, there's, there's wounded nature in here, but it's very accessible. It's very open. It's very inviting. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't find it in any way, you know, at arm's length. I thought it was, you know, like there's tracks on here where I was like, that sounds like it could be on an Arcade Fire album. Huh. You know, there's tracks on here that are, you know, the one that we heard there. I mean, again, it's kind of that kind of chamber piece style to it. You know, kind of the, the stuff in here that reminds me of like, you know, Fade Into You by Mazzy Star and whatever. So oh, well, it's not off-putting. I mean, not, not the suggesting that it would be off-putting but it's just that weird thing where it's like i just wonder if you know is it hard to kind of settle on an idea because like there's there's industrial clanks on this album which i love of course but there's also very heartfelt kind of you know i'm imagining i'm the only person in the room in this kind of you know this kind of cavernous space you know it's all very like i say lush and inviting but yeah i don't know i i, I wonder if you know your sense of identity has changed from song to song not even not, not even record to record I, I mean, I, I really feel like, for me, that exploration of sort of diverse sounds and diverse ways to express uh, what are my experiences, my experiences, I mean, that's where I really find satisfaction. I mean, it is that Shaka Khan, I'm every woman, like, sort of situation. <laughs> um, I Like, I, I grew up a huge fan of Beck, and I always, what I really liked about Beck was there was a constant sort of transition, you know, even you listen to a Beck record, like listen to, you know, Odelay or you listen to, you know, Midnight Vultures or whatever. Um, things are changing to song to song, you know, there's a lot of different, you know, vibes going on from, from track to track. And I, I always found that really exciting. And I think that I also feel like I don't think I have in myself a distinctive sound. I think the only thing that is probably consistent is that maybe I have a distinctive voice. Um, but I don't think from even song to song that I have a distinctive sound. I think for me it's about finding where the song wants to go. Like I write something and it naturally wants to evolve into something. So like whether it's like whoever and that wanted to be like a sexy weird industrial like uh, you know that was my sort of almost version of uh, wanting to do um, somewhere in like justify my love but like make it like Berlin sex club <laughs> uh, you know but then I you know I wanted to write something I, I wrote something much softer writing like nobody can make me do what I don't want to which really was that sort of 
it was almost for me in my head it was like really inspired by songs like um, Nothing Arrived by mm-hmm. Villagers mm-hmm. and you know obviously a huge Mazzy Star fan as well and uh, so I, f- I feel like for me I want to write something and I want to see where that naturally goes and where it wants to evolve to rather than kind of threading a particular sound through the album. I love that your take on Madonna's Justify My Love is not sexy enough. Like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding? No, come on! Yeah, she was really holding back on that one. <laughs> like, my, my brother, uh, like, big Madonna fan, and, like, growing up, I remember he had, like, you know, videos of her, like, you know, concert stuff and video, like, like because like, you didn't have, you know, YouTube back then, so it was, like, you bought, yeah. like, a VHS cassette yeah, that would have, like, yeah. two videos on it, and one of those was Justify My Love, and I would have been, like, I don't know, like 12 or something. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, I was just like, wow, okay. Education for for, for, for young days. It was like a scene in a movie where like the entire rest of the room darkens around the TV and it just like zooms no, in. It, the darkness was when like one of my parents put their hands over my eyes and dragged <laughs> me away from the television. Yeah, yeah, he was like, this is not for you. But yeah, Jesus. Um, well, I love that. I mean, I think for me as well, and it's funny because I think this will tie into to later, but I was just always... Um, attracted to or entranced by anything that felt taboo in music. Um, I have a weird fascination with, uh, you know, songs that like sound like they have like sort of guttural orgasmic sounds in them. Like, and I remember like, and I know you're probably, you're a fan of this, but uh, one of the first CDs that I had was the Pulp Fiction soundtrack mm-hmm. and um, Jungle Boogie <laughs> was both entrancing and terrifying I was like there's so many grunts in this song <laughs> and I think that you know hearing songs like that really had a sort of formative uh, influence on me for when I later when I wanted to kind of make music that felt uh, provocative or sensual um, in terms of that and like that level of experimentation and kind of wanted to bring that into your music I like was looking at the liner notes of the record and just yeah. seeing the collaborators you have on the record as well so like I think that it, it it all makes a lot more sense to me now with that context but was that like a chosen thing so like obviously you've, you've Liam Mulvaney Daniel yeah. Fox yeah. Um, who you know is very famous for his work Phenomenal. with Girl Band or Gilliband should I say now um, and then Rean Trench as well who I'm a massive fan of his work oh Rean's um, amazing yeah so like was that a conscious choice or did that did those collaborations just kind of happen by chance or oh it was 100% a conscious choice okay great. and it was absolutely terrifying like you know, imagine walking up to like now Dan is a friend of mine and mm. um, we actually were housemates uh, at some point but um, it was I think it might have been before that but I remember like the moment of walking up to Dan like and just being like you uh, you play on my record <laughs> and he was like yeah and I was like oh my god thank god because I was a huge Gilliban fan and he's also just such a good producer yeah, I mean everything he makes and is only just, getting better oh my god I mean like just killing it and then Rian Trench can do anything <laughs> like he can he can turn his hand to anything um, he's a phenomenal musician phenomenal producer uh, and also just like obviously just great drummer I remember the first time because we were doing this random uh, Salty Dog because like I work at the Salty Dog, Salty Dog at Electric Picnic. Salty Dog every year gets a bunch of musicians together called the Salty Dog No Stars. And we do a classic album. 
and we were doing the White Album by the Beatles and I'd never met Rian and I walked in and I watched him drum and physically, I actually like feel music in the rhythm section so much more. Like everything that I do, I like... Where uh, what I am very specific about when it comes to the writing, production, kind of arrangement side of things is all in the rhythm section. Like if the bass and the drums don't feel right to me, everything's like fucked. So, and and also like the drumming on my records is. Like, it's very much like that sort of, in my head, like that sort of pixie style drumming. It's 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 very, like, perfunctory, but it's, like, passionate. It feels very raw. Like, that's what I want from it. Um, so anybody who is a little bit too busy or, like, and which is a lot of drummers, you know, and that's okay. But I saw him drum and I was just like, oh, my God, this guy is... <laughs> fucking amazing um i have to ask him and it was another one of those situations where i was like walked up to him and i was like i just uh you're really good can i could you would you play on my record and you know and he was like yeah and i was like great um and he's just one of my really good friends like we became very very good friends and uh so uh, it was very much a conscious choice of who i had on that record and um it was a dream team uh, you know, and then it was, you know, Jamie Highland from Mail, you know, assisting and um, Emmett from uh, Gurriers, who wasn't playing on it, but was there and part of the whole thing. And so it was like this, we hauled up in the meadow <laughs> in Rian's studio um, out in Wicklow. And it's like this beautiful studio in the middle, like just kind of middle of nowhere. Um, and uh, just had this wonderful time during lockdown. And we were all insane because we hadn't spent any time with anybody. So I Real kept head to first t- kind of thing, yeah. <laughs> and Jamie's one of my best friends. I kept having to turn to Jamie and, and be like... Uh, uh, am I acting normal? Uh, am I acting weird? I haven't been around anyone for a really long time. Are my hands in the right place? Yeah, but, like, yeah. I don't know what to do with my hands yeah. uh, the whole time. But it was it was actually very magical. As you, you mentioned, like, you know, working for Salty Dog at Picnic, which, you know, is the most chaotic of stages, of oh course. Oh my gosh, yes. Yeah. The pirate we love ship, it that The pirate way. ship of dreams. <laughs> but like, as someone who works in events yeah. and also is is a, an artist and a performer, like, is that, do, does the brain ever clash and conflict and be like, you know, you're kind of, you're not just behind the curtain, you're holding the curtain. So it's like, and then you're bringing your own instruments through that curtain then. So it's like these dueling personas perhaps and also seeing the realities of a difficult industry up close and personal doing all the annoying admin and then being like well I've also got my art over here is like yeah. does that ever like smash into like in a horrible collision or is it actually oh. helpful <laughs> well one I'm very lucky that I love what I do and I actually love my job and getting to do things like you know you know, assist booking stages and just like doing the kind of back end of that. I'm I'm very happy and the team is wonderful. Um so like I get a lot of joy from it. I think, you know, when you're working in the back end like that, um well one, when you're at it and you have to switch like which I've had to do where you switch from working to performing in the same day that is a nightmare because <laughs> you're like put down a clipboard and you're like uh well okay I, i'll guess i'll go on stage and sing my feelings and then you're like okay well uh, what's on fire uh, so it's that's really difficult um switch and transition um as an artist it's hard to always see how the sausage is made 
um, because I I worked there and I've worked in kind of other areas of business. I actually like was have had a, a booking agency for a short while before I kind of I actually put it on pause because of my dad's health and it was a lot of stuff was going on. Um, it's really hard to see how it is a business. And if you're an artist who isn't necessarily always um, wanting to create that business and that business infrastructure around yourself, it can be deeply dispiriting. And so like sometimes it's hard to sit in the back end and do that and then talk to your friends who are artists about, you know, maybe how they're navigating the industry and how difficult it is and you're you're seeing the other conversations that are happening behind the scenes not bad ones but just like you know there's agents and there's all these things going on that change the landscape and why people get opportunities and other people don't get them and people think it's to do with your talent and people think it's to do with this that the other but there's a lot of other factors at play and you don't people don't always see that and people internalize it and think it's that they're not good enough. Of course. And that's yeah. heartbreaking. That's a natural reaction though, unfortunately, I think especially with, and again, it's that kind of, you were saying earlier on about the whole, you don't want to say, well, mental health struggles can help the process and, yeah. you know, but it's also like, I've often had that thing where I'm like, well, are creative people just naturally more predisposed to? And it's like, I don't know if that's fucking true. I'm just based on my own life experience on that. But what I wonder is from that perspective of like, you know, people who turn those knives in on themselves mm. because they can't help it. I am one of them. Yeah. A hundred percent. Do you have, like, is it a fight to kind of, to have, to redirect yourself and be like, no, no, it's, this is just the way of the world and yeah, it's, it's not my fault, you know? It's really funny because if anybody, if like a friend of mine who's like, and I've had friends of mine here, exceptionally fucking talented, ask me, like, um get upset about something, you know, that they they might have been looked over or somebody said something about their work. And I'm always just like, oh, fuck that. Like, don't <laughs> worry about it. Like, you know, who the fuck cares what this person thinks of you or whatever. And they're just like, also to, the, to put it down to, they're just a person in the world. And their opinion of you shouldn't reign over your, you know, they're not thinking about it. Or if they are thinking about it, whatever. But it's just um, that one pinprick that can get you. But I did, I, it happened to me. It happened to me on this, and I won't say, but there was a review that came, <laughs> my God. And I was like standing at the bus stop and I was like, <laughs> and I had a moment where I was like, Oh my god, I'm I'm still after so many years so sensitive to like someone saying like one small minor bad thing about me. I'm like, well, I guess that's it. I guess I'll just throw the album in the bin then. One, <laughs> where, where what's it the belongs? fucking point? <laughs> not everybody in the world likes yeah. it. Cancel uh, the vinyl. Stop the presses. Stop the presses. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> burn them all tonight. Um, you know, and it's really. I, I'd love to say that I'm resilient, and you know, because we're all, we all try to tell each other in the creative industries, like you know, try and be resilient. You got to have a thick skin. You got to be able to this, but we're not resilient. We're all sensitive and we all get, it all gets under our skin. It's just about like having that moment, I guess, and going, well, okay, <laughs> that felt bad, but you know, I'll get up and keep going and 
Whatever. Um, I, I, you know, as a critic, I obviously feel terrible for all the, all the hurt I've caused. Yes, you should. I should. I mean, in some cases, I, I, I think I've got like a 99% hit rate, guys. That's all I'm saying. Like, you know, like I saw I saw an interview this week with someone who basically said like, well, you know, I wrote these songs back then. I wasn't really that invested in them. And I was like, aha. I was like, aha. See? I, I knew it. The gotcha moment. Yeah. I couldn't tell. I'll, I'll love to that person. I genuinely have no problem with them. Yeah, if, if they happen to be listening yeah, yeah, to this, yeah. I'm not naming anybody. But the point is, um, I guess lastly, on the album emotionally magnificent yeah. like i mean at the point where you know bad review who cares yeah. but like it's out there you have it as a testament to yourself but like are you the kind of person who it, it stays with you for a time like like is it is it like you know like, can you can you just jump on to the next kind of thing i mean with this one what does it mean to you at this point beyond just i'm so glad i have a physical tangible copy of it the, the record itself yeah. yeah like right now at this moment like where are you wow. at with it? um yeah i mean this is this took uh, it, it's really like a labor of love, this record. I mean, I am not prolific. I'm batting some Fiona Apple level like gaps between <laughs> records here. And um, so I can't live in, or for me, I can't sort of be in a world where I'm putting out records every year, two years. That's just, I don't, I can't process like that. It takes me a while. And I'm also very, very critical. So I, I'm like, when I write and I choose work to put together, I'm like, wow, you know, that has to be, I really have to be able to stand behind something. Um, So it's a real, I, this, this record really has a lot of my own sort of personal, deeply challenging experiences sort of uh, smushed into it. And uh, it is something that is going to be part of what I'm doing for a, a long time. Um, I don't see myself moving on. Like, it's going to, I'm not going to write for a while. Like, it'll, it'll be a while even before I write. Like, I take gaps um to write i uh, you know i'm not a consistent writer it all kind of floods out at different times and i think you know a lot of things have happened in the last year that i think i will want to write about and i, I i'll come to that moment when that feels natural but um it was it was a tough going record to write uh it took it takes something from you it took something from me to make it um and uh, so I feel very proud that it's done, but I, I, it feels like a marathon. I feel like I came to the end of it and I'm like, oh, fuck, thank God, I just got, thank God I got here. Thank God I made it. Thank God it's, it's finished. It's, it's out in the world. Like so much, even from recording it to putting it out changed in my life. Like an unbelievable amount of change happened. And so it, it feels like an accomplishment but I am exhausted <laughs> it, it is an accomplishment I know you're saying that it took a lot out of you but I do think that people will take a lot from it and I think it is a beautiful record it's called Emotionally Magnificent congratulations <laughs> on getting it into the world where can people pick it up and where can they go and see you perform in the future well, you can order it off Bandcamp. Um, and if you're further afield, if, if you're from the States, hi, um, you can order from School Kids Records in the States um, there. And 
Um, yeah, and you can stream it on 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 all the all the places. So um, thank you. Yeah, all the links will be in the show notes as well. If you're looking for any physical copies, stream links, anything you want, it's yeah. all there. Yeah, and record stores. There's in Ireland. And uh, gig wise, you've anything coming up? Yes, um, I will be. Playing uh, in Belfast, I'm supporting Rachel Lavelle in the Black Box on the 23rd of November. I'll be doing a full band show in the Record Room in Limerick uh, on the 30th of November, uh, which will be really, really cool. And then on the 7th of December, I will be playing with uh, Ruth Mack in Galway. Awesome. Get your tickets, guys. Get the album. And that's Nisha Roo. Emotion magnificent. And we will now jump into the No Encore News section. Let's go. Start spreading the news. So, um, you mentioned earlier on not being the most prolific of artists. You compared yourself to Fiona Apple, but someone's got you both beat because Adam's had this kind of runner now for a while on the show hold your horses I can see I can see it I'm chomping at the bit to get into this one I I can see I I can see the cogs I'm excited I'm excited everybody I'm not excited and here's why (laughs) Uh, Andre 3000 who we love at this podcast you know you've said in recent weeks you're like we're never getting an Andre 3000 solo album I think it's been what 17 years or something since uh, he's the last one was um, oh I was listening to an interview on this I can't remember it's what around it was. that time anyway it, it was the one after speaker box the love below and so this week uh, there was a shock announcement that Andre 3000 is releasing his first solo album in almost 20 years and we all got very excited, didn't we? We, I, I certainly did, yes. I'm not excited anymore. Why is that, Adam? Uh, it's because it's... Also, a, sorry, you were wrong. This Adam was wrong The corner. Adam is wrong corner is what's written in the in the yeah. show notes here, by the but way. But you have um, a counter to this, don't you? I do have a counter to this. Technically, I'm not wrong because it's... First of all, it's not an Andre 3000 solo record. He, it's going out under his name, but there's like a, a quartet or quintet of jazz musicians. So And, and also, no bars. It's a 90-minute instrumental jazz record. Yep, with flutes and no vocals. And I'm very excited. I actually am excited about it. I think it's probably going to be very, very good. It's now, got how people, many songs? People are going to say... How many songs, Dave, has it got? songs. And how long is it? 87 minutes. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like, now, Nisha, if you released an 87-minute flute-based album, um, with all due respect... We wouldn't be having this conversation right now. <laughs> okay? Even if my titles were as good as this, we've got to talk about the can you, can you give us a couple of the titles, Absolutely please? Absolutely incredible stuff here, yeah. Uh, Nisha, oh. what, what's your what's your favourite one? Um, oh, well, I'm kind of torn between one that sounds like a hard times tagline, which is the first one, which is, I swear I really wanted to make a rap album, but this is literally the way the wind blew me this time. That's fabulous. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, um, the second track, the slang word pussy rolls off the tongue with far better ease than the proper word vagina. Do you agree? Do you agree? Mark? I fucking love that. I mean, At the very end, this is like, a, do you agree? Yes, maybe. I, it's not just a title. It's starting a debate. Yeah. In, the, in like a conversation in the music community. A conversation that I'm glad that it's not just two lads in the room this week to have. I'm here. I'm here to justify this yeah, conversation. It, Don't worry. And in fairness, you know, we, we it's been very male heavy lately, and you know, I I apologize, listener, but you know, it's just <laughs> life gets in the way, you know. 
But yeah, I don't know, Adam. Adam, this isn't like like as of this podcast being out, this record will be in the world. Yeah, I'm hoping it's a joke. I'm hoping that it's all one big joke, and it actually will be a 45 minute belter of a rap album. I can tell you, it's not going to be that. <laughs> it's definitely not going to be because there is an hour interview on NPR's website. It's like its own kind of little podcast thing. It was the exclusive, and it, it's genuinely. He was genuinely saying, he's like, you know. I w- it will happen. I will do the the rap thing. I know people want it, and um, the guy who was interviewing him was very kind of knowing about the pressures of, and you know, it's not a secret that Andre Three Thousand has, you know, he's gone on record and said that it's the pressure. I feel the pressure, but it's not necessarily just the pressure of the people out there. It's he the has, pressure that I put yeah, on myself. He's talked before about you know, like Nisha, you mentioned the whole you know uh, one bad review thing, but like yeah. He's talked before about being incredibly fragile in that regard. And you're like, really? Andre 3000? Even yeah. him, the coolest man ever, is apparently very, like, I just... Sensitive. I find it hard to put myself out there. Yeah. He's incredibly socially anxious as a, as a person. That's, like, a, again, a self-described trait, you know? You think he's just, like, the coolest motherfucker. Like, yeah. you just think he'd be so confident. Beautiful, charismatic, yeah. so talented. And you're like, okay, well, if this guy can't make it work, you know. Like, Did you, were you at Outcast at Electric Picnic that time? Uh, yes, I was. But I also, I, if I recall correctly, the horrors were playing at the same time in a nearby <laughs> tent. And myself and Craig, former co-host of the show, were at it. And he was desperate to go because he was like, they're about to start. And I was yeah. like, but the horrors are finishing. And like oh, no. I was like, they're building to this big crescendo and it's going to be beautiful. And I think I kept him there to like literally the second the Forest Baldwin was like, thanks guys. And I turned around and I was like, Craig? And it was just like this silhouette, like like that Homer Simpson bit when he just like, it's just a vapor cloud of him. Yeah. And I remember like running because we heard bombs over Baghdad. Oh, man. And so I did catch some of them, but I think I just wasn't quite, I've always liked Outcast, but I, they never cast uh-huh, the full spell upon me that they have on other people and, I, right. and, and, I, and I'm and I'm just going to say at this point that that is entirely my fault nothing to do with them I think I just miss the moment somehow there's individual songs that I love but I never had the full on like love affair are you a huge fan? Um, you know I would say that I have a healthy appreciation but I wouldn't have said I was a super fan but I would say that when I went to see that gig it blew my fucking mind. I thought it was okay. amazing. I mean, and to be fair, like, again, they were playing back-to-back with Beck, so I was really you having the time zone. of my yeah. life. I was like, what? <laughs> Beck and Outkast? Like, <laughs> um, but, uh... It was it was a, it was a real experience, and I'm I'm so glad I got to see see them play. Um, I think you know you know Speaker Box to Love Below is is really like that's a real seminal like influential album for so many of us yeah. uh, in our thirties. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm still in my thirties, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Adam, I don't mean to reveal all, uh, anybody's age. I barely made Adam it in is, the door there. Adam, Adam is not in his thirties. <laughs> I am in my thirties. Yeah, since when? Since August of this year, Dave. You were there. <laughs> <I did. laughs> You were were literally there. I didn't realize it was your 30. I forget things. Welcome to the club. Thought I'll be leaving soon. It's been a great six months. (laughs) I'll tell you. Hope the next nine years are good to you. Andre 3000, Um, let me ask this question. How many Andre 3000 movies can you name without looking them up? Because he's done a bit of acting. He has done a bit of acting. I I put this out in my group chat the other day and we kind of got to the bottom of it pretty quickly. Oh. Can you name any film that he's in? The I, Jimi Hendrix brain one. Yeah, correct. He is yeah. in the Jimi Hendrix. What's it called? It has a has a has a subtitle. Oh, um, I got it wrong. I, I have no. I can't remember. I just know loads because I lived in Bray, and it was just such a big thing in Bray. Everyone was like, "I'm going to be in the in the Andre 3000 Jimi Hendrix movie." <laughs> 
Um, but uh, I have no idea. It's called Jimmy All Is By My Side. Ah. I think it came out 10 Crap years ago. Title. Bad title. Bad title. It was oh, not on. very good. It's, it didn't get good reviews, which probably hurt his confidence. Um, yeah. I thought it was called Time Is On My Side. I mean, you weren't far off. I think I'd give you the point. Any other guesses as to films that he pops up in? Usually yeah. as a supporting was actor. Was he in an Austin Powers at some point? No, he no. wasn't. He was in a scary movie, apparently. That, was okay. he? he was in a scary movie before, I believe. Uh, uh, I don't know I what he was doing. I don't remember him being in a, an absurd comedy thing. He's so. in Hollywood Homicide in 2003. Uh, Josh Hartnett, Harrison Ford, nothing movie. Haven't seen it, apparently it's terrible. And I know that it's about them investigating the murder of a rap group. So I wonder if he's just in that one bit at the start. <laughs> he's apparently in uh, Ryan Gosling, Anthony Hopkins' bad but amusing legal drama Fracture, which I've seen a couple of times and I do not remember. Andrew <laughs> <laughs> being in this movie. I was like, what, what character is he playing? Like He's in um, an art house film called High Life with Robert Pattinson. Oh, I've, I haven't seen it, but I, yeah, I know. It's good. Um, not amazing, but it's good. He's very good in it. He's in Four Brothers. Now, that is a dreadful... <sighs> that is, that is yeah. where I remember. I, do you know what? It's like, back in the day, I used to be on the comms, the the college, <coughs> like an IADT. I, I wrote for the newspaper. I was the editor of the college newspaper. And I used to write the movie reviews, and I tore that movie apart <laughs> and rightly so I was so, yeah. so mean in my movie reviews I felt so terrible it's very very bad it's um, it's a John Singleton joint it stars Mark Wahlberg Andre 3000 yeah. Garrett Hedlund and Tyrese Gibson as the titular four movie. brothers their mother played by Irish actress Fanula Flanagan gets shot dead at the start of the film and they vow revenge. Yeah. Very, very bad. Very, very boring. Um, he's okay in it, I suppose. But, yeah. Fine, perfunctory. But yeah. the movie was not... You couldn't save it. He's no. in Be Cool, the sequel to Get Shorty, which is terrible. And he's in Guy Ritchie's Revolver, which everyone hates because it's also <laughs> terrible. <laughs> he's fine in so these let movies. Me tell you, try, stick to the music, Andre. It's not, <laughs> no, it's in not the, his fault. He just yeah. has ended up in a bunch of terrible yeah, movies. Yeah, he's in yeah. Semi Pro. I haven't seen that one. That's the, I have oh, seen that. Yeah. That's, that's funny. He's in Kelly Reichardt's Showing Up, which is new and it's getting decent reviews. Very good. And he's also in uh, White Noise, the Noah Baumbach movie that I saw and reviewed recently. Oh, that's yes, great. I, uh, I hated it. I hated it. I thought it was fantastic. Garbage. I didn't like it. Absolute garbage. I feel and like I missed something because I'm a Noah Baumbach fan and I'm also like a Greta Gerwig fan and an Adam miss? Driver fan. Yeah. Huh? How could this possibly miss? I was yeah. like, oh, I'm ready for it. And I watched it and I, I just, do you know what it was? It's like, sometimes like Noah Baumbach in general can feel a little like um, disassociative or whatever and that's fine. But I just couldn't connect to anything that was happening and maybe uh, maybe I'm a big softy but I need to at least connect to some you character feel there yeah. Yeah. No, I gotta feel I, 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 something, it was something. Too, it was too opaque he's also in um, a film called Battle in Seattle which was directed by Irish actor Stuart Townsend can you, can you give me two things that Stuart Townsend is famous for apart from being an actor although one of them involves being an actor uh, there's two big kind of trivia bits here no <laughs> he was, tell you right he was originally cast as Aragorn in The Lord of the Rings and fired on the first day. Wow. Replaced by Viggo Mortensen. Uh, that's what we call an upgrade. Who stuck the landing, yeah. And he was in a 10 year relationship with Charlize Theron. Oh, yes. Theron? Uh, I never know how to say that, so. Yeah. And finally, Andre 3000 was in my beloved TV show, The Shield, in- <laughs> including the series finale, playing a politician. Who Fantastic. Gets, yeah, so there you go. Watch The Shield, everyone, and I guess give the Andre 3000 album a go. But... La- the last thing I will say is, 
So I said that we're not going to get a Frank Ocean album either. Yep. I love Tempting Fate because <laughs> it always rises to me. And I'm really hoping next week <laughs> is when we get the announcement for Frank Ocean's next album. But Yeah. The question yeah. though becomes, will the 87 minute Andre 3000 flute bass meander fest have anything as, as good on it as this? Yeah, it's of course Rudebox, the 2006 smash hit by Robbie Williams. Do we all remember the song coming out in the world? Yes. Horrible. I do. And I remember I remember the music video of the up close mouths and it's just so unnerving. He's wearing like a tracksuit and there's like all kinds of Dutch angles and stuff. Do you remember this? This is a horrific song. He it says is. it's the biggest regret of his career. Oh my God. You know what it should be, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. Uh, stain. <laughs> maybe my least favourite lyric I've ever heard in a song in it, which is, um, what was it? You don't sweat much for fat loss. Oh yeah, that yeah, is in this. That is in there's so there, there, Genuinely, Awful. there's some <laughs> truly heinous lyrics in here because I, did, I think he's I did trying do, to be ironic. It's but, a mess. Oh, no, but yeah. even like being ironic, it's just like so, so bad. Well, like his, whole, his whole thing was, I'm, you know, I'm cheeky. I'm, and I'm outlandish. Yeah. But this felt even at odds with that. Because I, like, I, I would have liked him for a little bit. I think we all went through a bit of a phase with Robbie. Rock, Rock DJ was great. Rock like, DJ that, fucking ruled. That era was yeah. fantastic. Millennium. But, but everybody kind of liked Robbie when he was riding with Guy Chambers. Yes. And you see, Guy Chambers was his, like, absolute, like, other half when it came to, like, the golden age of Robbie. When he, him and Guy Chambers split... And he did like one record, right? Where it was like after that, that was fine. And then he just was like, did this record. It was like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, he says himself, like, so there's a new Netflix documentary and he's uh, discussing the highs and lows of his life. He said, my biggest regret is putting out Rootbox as the first single of the album, which I think I think the album is called Rootbox. Yeah, I think yeah. it is called Rootbox, yeah. Because I was working next year's in the time and I know we had it on sale. Um, if I put it out a third and explain properly that it's daft, I know, I'm not trying to be a grime artist, I know it's daft. Uh, he goes, in the documentary, the biggest cringe point for me is explaining to an audience who are about to listen to Rootbox for the first time that this is going to be the biggest single since Angels. Then I had another thought about it, that's my second most important single, because Angels gave me the career, and Rootbox hel- heralded the end of my imperial phase. So in a way I was right, but not in the way I wanted to be. So yeah, I mean, like it was a disaster. Um, the reaction at the time, even then, was just very like, nobody wants this at all. Yeah. No, it was, it was it was a bit heinous. All right, mm. no, but he was he was really hitting. He was batting really well. He was like for yeah. so long, yeah. like you couldn't stop him, and he was so huge, massive. Yeah, he was and, everywhere. Like I mean, I, I remember like you know, the first album comes out post take that, and he's kind of marketed as this kind of faux Britpop kind of adjacent thing, mm. and he he's the bad boy, and people people ate it up with a spoon. And then like by the time. Um, I forget what it's called, but it's the Millennium one, and you know it has no regrets, which I think is his best song on there. It's fucking amazing. We've spoken still. about that song on the podcast a couple of times. Already. It's a wonderful, wonderful song. Um, and yeah, like it seemed like he could do no wrong, 
but I do remember when he signed his American record deal and he was doing it, he's like, oh, I'm rich by my wildest dreams and it was all this kind of bullshit. And, like, and then, I don't know, I mean, like, I think people have a soft spot for him during this era. I could be wrong on this and I apologise in advance if I am wrong to David Tapley of Tandem Felix, but I think David Tapley of Tandem Felix thinks that Feel by Robbie Williams is a legitimate masterpiece. I was actually going to like talk about Feel. I was going to say that I think that that's a pretty good song. Mm. There's a few, like, No Regrets look. No you Regrets know, is uh, unbelievable. Solid. I'm trying to go through my, it's been a long time since I went through the Robbie Williams, like, Rolodex of songs. But there's, there is just genuinely a, a, a series of really great written pop songs. Like, yeah. um, it's you can't like you can't debate that and so like even now listening back to it you're like yeah it's really decent like there's some things that with time uh we we look back and go oh gosh well that was of the time and it wasn't great but those songs really still hold up he also spoke about his time dating jerry hallowell which i don't remember being a thing he said, I found her company very, very easy, but it was a very confusing relationship because she's a girl and I'm a boy. Can't I make it any more obvious, I assume. Is it, is it <laughs> he said, uh, we are very the good friends. For Avril Lavigne. We are very good friends, trying to sort out the records of the past. Um, discussed his history of self-harm and depression. Uh, all this in the documentary, apparently. And he said, thank God mental health is being talked about in a different way. I read something that triggered me. Somebody talking about, quote, celeb washing of mental illness. Celebs making mental health issues sexy saying there was nothing sexy about his suicide attempt and adding that people need to be careful about what we say and how we say it. He's correct. And it is that weird thing where I, I kind of mentioned earlier, like in a, even talked about it kind of briefly in our chat last week with Nilo as well, where it's like, I think we're in this weird space now where the pendulum has swung so far in one direction that it can only swing back a little bit. And I wonder if some people are like, oh, we're kind of, we're, we don't want to hear it anymore, you know, or else, you know, people throw the mental health thing around, et cetera. But it's like, everyone has the right to discuss their experience. Like, mm -hmm. so you're in this kind of strange ballpark where I think some people are just kind of like, they think it's now a narrative, you know, like, and especially for like a quote unquote tortured artist to go through. But it's like, I, I don't think you can you can police that really, you know. I don't think you can. I I remember being at God God help us uh, the what are the Ireland Music Week panels um, this year? No, this is a few years back. It was it was just as it was changing from hardworking class heroes to. Ireland Music Week, and yeah. it was one on mental health. I did one of those before. Did you? Yes. I wonder if you were on this panel. I was on it with uh, Julie from uh, Julie Hawk, of course. Uh, no, it wasn't this one. It was it was Angela Dorgan and a couple other people. I can't remember who else was on it at the time. Um, but I remember really distinctly, because this is the first time I kind of like realized that people would have this perception somebody standing up at the question and answers a session and being like well what about artists that use mental health to try to like sell their work or to try to promote themselves like like capitalizing on their mental health and i was i remember sitting there as somebody who's dealing with mental health issues going like I'm gonna, I'm gonna freak out. <laughs> I'm gonna fucking freak out um, because nobody who's actually going through that would. That's the last. It is not an aid. It is definitely something that gets in the way of you being able to do those things uh, with a huge more frequency than it could aid you. Um, but I think there are people out there with that perception, and but you can't police that. Everybody has to be open to express their their personal experiences. And to be honest, I think the more that we share, the more it just, you know, destigmatizes yeah, it. It becomes normal, then. It becomes yeah. normalized. And then it's actually, because I remember, you know, when I had 
when I was going through this stuff, even, you know, when I first came on the scene, you just didn't talk about it the same way you would now. Yeah. Like, I'd never have talked about, like, f- my experiences feeling suicidal or, like, you know, having sort of debilitating depression and staying in, in bed for, like, a week. Mm. I'd never have talked about that then. And now it's like, yeah. And, like, and what's new? Everyone does them, you know? Like, yeah, everyone's, yeah. not comes, everyone, but ev- a lot of people have experienced it, it, that. It comes in phases, though. It's like, it's because, like, I, m- I mentioned doing that panel, I think it was 2018. And now I'm like, I don't know if I would do that again. And that's not a, a commentary on the panel or the forum. It's more like, I'm like, would I would be so. At the time, I definitely was ex- full bore. I was like, I'm going to talk about this. And now I'm kind of like a bit more shielded again. But that's not, again, that's reflective of. I think that's waves, isn't it? Yeah, 100%. You know? But also, it, that person, I, I think that is a perception. But also, I'm sure there are people in the industry, there would be some scurrilous managers or PR who would say this will help sell the record you know people who will who will think that way and that's you know it's a cynical industry it's a cynical world but it is that perception of like it's like if you could (laughs) that person in the room that day they didn't realize how ignorant they're being. I'm sure it's like, but if mm. they could, if they, if you could switch brains with them for like five minutes, they would never ask that fucking question. I know, but that's just the way of the world, and that's why oh, totally. even a Robbie Williams, who I know has inv- invited so much derision and so much kind of like I'm, a, you know, is, is a performing clown in some respects. It's like he's allowed to feel that way. You know, he's allowed to talk about that. Absolutely. But also, so yeah, we should we should stop throwing that kind of stuff in uh, at, at our musicians, and we should stop throwing physical objects at them because uh, <laughs> it's finally gone too far we've had this kind of crazy finally now. after how long after well, like we, someone threw a cinder block on stage at somebody or something we've had we, we've had this craze now of like all kinds of weird shit happening like I mean there was pink someone threw like um, their uh, BB, a Rex, ba- BB Rex had a phone thrown at BB her face. Rex had a phone thrown at her face which gave her a black eye yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, pink stitches, someone threw a bag of their mother's ashes on the stage while pink was performing which that is, is that's crazy. so fucked up like, I mean what what are you doing like you know that's so messed up what that is for. someone threw a sex toy at Lil Nas X um, and then all kinds of stuff is happening but the, the reason I say it's gone too far is because it's happened to Taylor Swift now guys <laughs> and we all know that once that happens there that's it there's going to be laws signed by the yeah, time I've the finished speaking uh, she's urged her fans to not throw things on the stage saying that it really freaks her out she's performing in Buenos Aires Argentina last Sunday at the Estadio River Plate as, <laughs> as part of the Eras Tour which by the way I read this week the Eras Tour what percentage of the era's tour do you think is completed by now, Nisha? So the percentage. That's a great question. Yeah, I should have saved it for the end of the year, but I'd have to keep updating That's it. So, yeah. I'm going to say 17. 17%. Yeah. One seven. Adam, what percentage of the era's tour is completed? 11. It's actually 40%, which I thought oh, was shit. still, I thought was still, I was like, wow, there's 60% I, to go? I thought she's got like another six like years better. left of the tour. It looks like there's a good year and a half yeah, to go. Yeah, no, it's, 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 a, it's a really Think um, of the, the endless media tour. coverage. When's she coming here? Next year. Next year. Is it's it summertime, I think, is it? think so. For that humanity. <laughs> like The real summertime for humanity. Can't get a ticket for love nor money. Yeah. It is not the same as it was five years ago. Um, so anyway, she was um, playing at the Estadio River Plate as part of the Euros tour. Um, and when she was performing the Evermore segment of the show, I assume everyone went to the fucking bathroom, but she addressed the crowd as, quote, a present landed next to her on stage. Like, that could be, there could be anything in that. Yeah. It could be a bomb, like, it could be a live snake, you know? Yeah. It could be a copy of intermission on DVD. I mean, like, <laughs> like you just don't know. She says... I mean, I'd take that if that was yeah. thrown at me on stage, to be fair. <laughs> she said, and I quote, and she said this on stage, Like, and I'm trying to think about the poor fan who, you know, overstepped the boundary. Taylor Swift said, just because communication means having gentle, healthy boundaries 
it really freaks me out when stuff gets thrown on the stage uh, because if it's on the stage, then the dancer can trip on it. I mean, like, she's right, but that's kind of boring if you ask me. Yeah, it's come a, on. You're making it boring. Um, I love that you bought presents and that is so nice, but just can you please not throw them on the stage? I love you so much. I mean, she's right, Nisha, but, you know, it's a present. Like, it's some, some, someone, like, went to the trouble, <laughs> probably went to a shop, bought her, bought her a nice thing, and she's like, no, I don't want it. And wanted to scull her with it. That's a... Uh, that's but we don't know what, what the aim was. <laughs> like, yeah! We don't know what the literal aim was like. What if they were, like, aiming it for, like, a spot on the stage that they felt was a safe I mean, would zone? Would you trust your aim? No. No, Absolutely I wouldn't not. I also wouldn't throw something <laughs> at someone on stage. Like, if you think about it, like, I mean, you know, you've got a huge divot, like, yeah. before the stage and when it begins. Like, I would be, like, aiming, like, a basketball net for that weird security section, um, you know, to have it all gathered up by them. But you should give yeah. it to the security person, say, would give you mind to, yeah. would you mind giving this to But I think that's how it worked for a really long time until people were like, yeah. nah. <laughs> After you've had this scanned by the police. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. In, the, in the X ray machine that we bring with us to but everything. The annoying the thing about the story is that I don't know what the present was. It doesn't say. So like I'm left to my own devices. It could have been anything. Could have been a giant clown. Uh, like, what's, you know? what's your what's your instinct telling you? Uh, I, perfume or something, I don't know. Like, That's nice. I'd say it embroidery. Yeah, you, something uh, handmade. Embroidered. Yeah, handmade. Yeah, yeah. means more. Yeah, yeah like a handmade tea towel to her face. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, how are you going to get like a glass bottle of perfume in? If the security were doing their job, that would never happen. So I don't know. I just, I, I'm, I'm conflicted on this one. I, I don't want performers yeah. to feel uncomfortable, but you know. Yeah. Well, we could go like old school and just put an entire like thing of gauze in front of the stage. Yeah. Like, like, you know, when people used to throw... Yeah, yeah, yeah. bottles. Like, you know? yeah, like the Blues Brothers playing yeah, exactly. in that bar. I think maybe we need to in- install a present dispensing area at, at certain gigs. <laughs> at the right? merch stand. Yeah. Right yeah. beside the merch stand. No, 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 Drop it, your present it, it off is, and buy a jumper. It's a spot on, like, on the stage that you're encouraged to like, you know, like discus throw something towards. <laughs> <you know? laughs> this is like a four-hour show. I, I love like, that. Well, they're like, being played in sports stadiums. I imagine they have the facilities to enable so yeah right listen lastly last news story because there's a there's a line here where it says you know numerous artists have called for concert goers to stop throwing things on stage including Adele Kelly Clarkson Billie Eilish described the trend the trend is infuriating um Slipknot's Corey Taylor said and I quote right artists aren't regarded as people anymore now that's a hell of a quote in a week when they fired their drummer <laughs> unceremoniously. You thought I wasn't going to talk about it. Well, I am. Yeah. As a lifelong Slipknot fan who has paid cash money to see them six times and would do it six times over, I hate how bad they are at their internal admin. Jay Weinberg, who stepped in for Joey Jordan, who was fired himself by fucking email, unfortunately, you know, years later is no longer with us. Jay Weinberg stepped into that th- those coveted shoes and mask 10 years ago. And it appears that they just called him up on the phone out of the blue and fired him. So, I, you know, it's not good. However, what I would say is Jay Weinberg, did you know, used to play in the band Against Me and apparently left the band in similar circumstances. Apparently, like, it is alleged, Laura Jane Grace has said that, like, she has said very disparaging things about him before this happening, saying that he left them high and dry. And I, and one assumes he got the call from Oh, so it up. was on his, oh. it was on his kind of, call that he left it he yeah, wasn't sacked. he apparently okay. put it up on twitter that he he announced on twitter the band didn't know and then they replied on twitter with like a photo of a drum machine or something this is like 10 years ago and in this situation now that jay weinberg appears to have the tables turned on him laura jane grace has in fact gone online 
quoted the Rolling Stone article and said like karma's a bitch or something. Oh, no. So serious babble over there. And I like I like Laura Jane Grace, I like Against Me, I like Jay Weinberg. It's all pretty ugly by the signs of things. But the point is, Jay Weinberg has gone from Slipknot after ten years and he put up a very, you know, quite a classy statement, you know, just saying like you Yeah, know, he handled it quite graciously, I think. Yeah, without mentioning the name Slipknot at all or thanking the band, but why would you if that's what happened? But the reason I mention all this is because um Jay Weinberg is of course the son of Max Weinberg. The of drum- Max Weinberg Seven. Of is that what he's? Yeah, he's the drummer for the E Street Band. Uh, yeah, I, I remember him first from his uh, Conan O'Brien. Conan O'Brien, yeah. yeah. That's, Conan, you know. I don't yeah. know what this is. Tell Con- me. He was the house was band the house- for Conan O'Brien. Yeah, for the Conan O'Brien. The, was the late the late show or the yeah. Tonight Show or whatever it was? The, tonight Show with Conan O'Brien. Yeah, yeah. I, I went to it once. Really? Yeah. How was it? Uh, it was really fun. Um, Willie Nelson was on and Anderson Cooper. Um, but I was a huge Conan nerd. Like I was, I really loved Conan. He was great. Growing yeah. up. Effervescent. Uh, yeah. And so uh, sitting there and I, I think I'm weirdly, like obviously they taped like every night. So, but I'm in an episode because a giant, someone dressed as a monster sat beside me in the crowd. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there like going like, oh, you know, reacting. But I, you know, that's lost to the... To time, uh, to the the, yeah. the, the, the NBC of the internet, yeah. the NBC archives. Oh, yeah. someone has it somewhere. We'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll make some calls. <laughs> so Jay Weinberg at the end of his statement said, "I don't know how and I don't know when, but I look forward to creating loud, passionate, and heartfelt music that we enjoy together again." Addressing the fans, uh, please know it's been the joy of a lifetime to spend the last ten years with you, sharing in our love for the special corner of the music and the art world. It is in the end. I'm thrilled to discover what the future has in store for us. Now we don't know what happened. Slipknot said creative differences. They dipped up an Instagram post announcing this, and then they later deleted it. You this this happened, I believe, right as we got off air last, last week, week because yeah. of fan backlash which again they have a horrible track record I think of their own internal kind of machinations which upsets me I don't know what happened here who knows it does sound like they just fucked him out for some reason and whatever the reason I mentioned all this is to close the news section that it's not very rock and roll when your dad steps in <laughs> <laughs> which, which is what which is what Max Weinberg has done um, this is a bit like I don't know and he said because it says numerous drummers from the rock world have sent messages of support to Jane Jay Weinberg including his dad E Street Band member Max Weinberg who said and I quote for 33 years you've made your mom and I 100% proud this moment is no exception you're a class act love dad now Adam does that remind you of anything? Um, can you hit the clip immediately please? <laughs> hey Jamesy rock it man I know you will that was nice wasn't it absolutely chuffed James McCartney is that he saw Paul McCartney stepping in there to say nice things about his son and his son not happy about it whatsoever (laughs) but what can you do it's like the most wooden man I've ever yeah. Like, look, if you don't the know charisma about, did not transfer. No, I don't think there is charisma to transfer, to be no. fair. If anyone who doesn't know anything about uh, Paul McCartney's son, James McCartney, please check out the NME interview that's on YouTube. It's one of the funniest it's astonishing, things. astonishing, yeah. And whatever, we, we had an episode on this a while ago. It's in the best moments of 2022. Yeah. Um, you can find that in the feed if you scroll back. Go but back cra- to Craig your, does a reading of it. It's absolutely it's stellar. It's out really of this good. world. Yeah, it's great. Right, listen. Uh, that's enough news for one week. It's time to get into our top five. So, Nisha, the top five that we are doing, please explain. Yes. Uh, so, my top five is teen movie soundtracks um, because I'm a deeply nostalgic person and because a lot of uh, bands that I liked I got introduced to through uh, teen movies and I think they're a great um, ground for exposing you to new new bands that you might not have heard uh, when you're younger and uh, yeah and I'm a sucker for them 
Yeah, it's interesting because like I was trying to re- recall the very specifics of my CD collection when I was a teenager, and I also was like, I was like, well, I think I just stole a lot of these off my brother, you know. So like, I'm I'm trying to like tap back into that kind of part of my life and see where it where it turns. But we shall see as we go. Um, I guess uh, if you could kick us off, that would be great. So yes. if you let us know what, what you have coming up for us for your number five, it's all about nostalgia. It's all about stuff that dominated your you know your headspace as a teen. Well, uh, my number five is from a movie that was deeply influential. Um, Really, it changed uh, the way I dressed as a teenager. Uh, It influenced a lot of, uh, with me, with a a lot of kind of fun goth music that definitely influenced my writing later. And it's it's just great fun. Space Hog, The Horror, and it's The Craft is my number five. What a choice. Love it so much. And this particular song uh, really sticks with me as the song off the soundtrack that I fell in love with because it's the scene where Nancy turns up to the party to confront Skeet Ulrich uh, after him being an absolute dick to Robin Tunney's character. And she's just like powerfully blasting through this party to this song and I, I just fell in love with it. So, uh, I've seen the film, of course, but for anyone who hasn't, I'm going to have to ask you to set the scene here because that's a lot of 90s names being thrown around there. <laughs> names I know intimately myself, but yeah. um, The Craft, and there, and there is a terrible remake, we can get to that as well, potentially, or a sequel, I should say. Oh, yeah. So yeah, The Craft, this was this is a, what I would call it definitely a cult hit, so uh, take us through it. It's a cult hit, I think it's 96. Sounds right. And um, it is starring Starring uh, Robin Tani, Nev Campbell, of course, Scream fame, uh, Faruza Balk, who deserves an award for this performance. Should have been bigger. Should have been bigger. And she just is such a good actress. Um, And uh, Rachel True as these four girls who... um, Meet basically uh, Robin Tunney, uh, who you'd also know from another amazing teen movie, Empire Records. Yes. Um, uh, Divisive turn- film, but I love it. <laughs> I also love it. Um, she uh, moves to uh, LA and um, starts a new school and she meets these three girls who are witches and they all come together to create a coven and become powerful and things go from there basically it's re- it's a really great example of like the 90s kind of VHS like error 40 you know just like it's kind of that you know just that 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 revival I suppose of kind of teen horror and like it's not scary yeah. necessarily but it's it's very cool 
It's very cool, and it's like really set the scene for like that sort of old fashion as well. That was I definitely watched that and just went out and just bought as many black clothes as I could, <laughs> and, and definitely a bunch of Wiccan books. I think everyone who every single teenager who watched that and has a nostalgic feel for it uh, played uh, Lights of Feather Stiff as Board immediately after watching it. Yeah, um, did it work? Did anyone levitate? Uh, no, no. <laughs> I always think like you know we all tried to put our our. Well, it sounds weird to put our fingers. In. This is weird. I'm doing a lot of motions in here. Um, but uh, get your mind out of the gutter, listener. <laughs> um, what you really ended up doing was putting your hands, like yeah. your full hands, under and, and actually lifting. lifting. Someone, yeah. but, like it's working, you guys. They're an inch off the ground, and then you're like, "Wow, we're we're powerful witches." They are powerful witches in that movie. It's really good. Like like it's very of its time. And again, the aforementioned Faruza Balk, who just has this unbelievable energy in it. Oh, she's should, just should have been a, such a bigger star. She's so great. Unbelievable. I really, I really think she kills it. I, I watched this again on Halloween because I just, you know, I was like, oh, I want to watch it's really perfect Halloween movie. It's a perfect Halloween movie. Is it an annual rewatch? What? Is it an annual rewatch? Um, I would say I've watched it a lot, if not uh, once a year, once every other year. And um, it's, I enjoy it. Like, it's one of those movies, you know, those movies you know really well that you, if you're watching it with someone, because I was watching it with my boyfriend, and uh, where you're quoting it as you're going, yeah. and you're like, am I <laughs> being the most annoying person? Like, yeah, you're like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily, he's, he's fine with that. <laughs> he's, he likes it, but... Uh, Is yeah. um. Is How Soon Is Now by the Smiths in this, or am I imagining uh, this? A cover of How Soon it's Is Now yeah. is is in it. Um, is it Snake River Conspiracy, or is that later? Because they, they did a cover of that a while. Like, I remember that was, that was a real Kerrang-era band for me. There's definitely like a, yeah. Like yeah a, like it's a, Love Spit Love. Okay. I could who not, did it? I don't really know you. them. And then they, they have a, it opens with a really fun version of uh, Tomorrow Never Knows by Our Lady Peace. Um it's really important to like I think to recognize how uh many cool covers we got out of teen movies. Yeah, very much really, so. Really, really good redefinition of, of classic songs coming into the, the teen movie sphere. It kind of set a trend and like I think that so Adam, what we're gonna do by the way from my top five here is because I, I've given Adam six because I was um up against it today, shall we say? <laughs> yeah. Here's what we'll do, right? We'll kill my number five and we'll go with you know the other order to get me. So my number four yep. is now yeah, you get me. So okay. I originally was gonna pick train spotting, but I'm I'm bumping train spotting. And the, re- the reason I'm bumping it is because, for starters, I came to realize, I was like, wait a minute, I forgot one. But also, Trainspotting would be very much a brother lift there, because it's like, he was big into it. It wasn't even a film that I saw for a long time. But I was obsessed with Born Slippy, as I think oh, everybody was. absolutely. Yeah. That soundtrack yeah. is phenomenal. There's yeah. some great blondies on there, like, as well. It's, it's a reluctant bump, but uh, in keeping with the tone here as well, we'll go with my uh, number five, part one. I have a, a two-part kind of hit here, so we'll go with the first one. And this, this is kind of tenuously linked to the film it's in it but barely So that is uh, Republica, by the way, with Drop Dead Gorgeous, and uh, you'll never guess what film this is in because it's. I think I think it's just on the end credits, or it maybe plays at a party 
for two seconds when someone goes to a party. So I can't guess, but I just I feel like this is such a seminal sound oh, yeah. like, Big time. this is really uh, bringing me back well the DNA yeah. of the film that you chose is in this film in many ways it's a cool teen horror Nev Campbell's in it Skeet Ulrich <gasps> is in it it's Scream oh amazing this is in Scream and I can't, I, I've seen that film fucking 50 times and I'm it, it's either in a party at one stage towards the end for like a split second as someone's going to get beer Presume, I, I think it's when Rose McGowan goes to the garage oh, I could really? be wrong on that one and I think it might play over the end credits but it's also you know the, re- the reason that this is a big teen soundtrack nostalgia one for me is because first of all I was obsessed with the film my brother who is eight years older than me he went to see it when it came out in 96 and I remember him coming home from the cinema that night and he was so excited by the film he'd just seen that he told me the entire plot <laughs> including <laughs> no! including telling me like who, who the killers plural and at, where and at the time by the way having more than one killer in a film that was like Revolutionary, yeah. yeah. No one unheard of, unheard yeah. of completely. And so you told me the whole damn thing, and then I had to wait for it to come out on VHS months later because I was too young and experience it word for word. <laughs> <laughs> described it when you got but on. I also had this weird thing where, like, I became obsessed with the soundtrack because he had the CD soundtrack, mm. and I remember for Christmas, it may have been that year or the year after, I got like a Ghetto Blaster, and with the Ghetto Blaster, you could like send away for like two free CDs. And, be- and they were from like you know a very short list yeah and because I was so obsessed with the Scream soundtrack I, I got Republica's album <laughs> can I ask oh can I ask you a question yeah, yeah and this is I'm genuinely being earnest here when I ask this question you're always earnest did every song sound the exact fucking same on it because no be- no no because I was waiting for the ready I'm ready to go bit when that came no, oh sorry I mean? Rep- Republican yeah. yes kind of yeah yeah I think it meant the Scream soundtrack oh yeah. no 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 I, obviously yeah Republica yeah, are a two familiar. song band and that's it but yeah. on the Scream soundtrack it's a weird soundtrack and I don't know if soundtracks are actually the, the franchise's strength because they're very tonally askew so you have like this buried in there somewhere you have Red Right Hand by Nick Cave which is used so magnificently and of course predates the theme tune of Peaky Blinders which I don't like that it's there um, but you got a lot of trash on this album like you got like um Youth of America, which is just this very generic rock song. There's a terrible cover of Blue Oyster Cults Don't Fear the Reaper. It's oh. it's this acoustic version. It's playing in the scene when like Billy and uh, Sydney are like smooching in the bedroom. But of course, when you're like, you know, a teenager and Scream is your favorite movie, you're like, oh man, that song's really emotional, isn't it? <laughs> and then you hear the original, you're like, oh, wait, that's actually a lot better. <laughs> like, um, School's Out by Alice Cooper is on there as well. I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I, would, I would think that elevates slightly. It's, it's very well well done in that. I think it's it's very, it's used perfectly. It's yeah, used very well. But it was just I think it was like the like the tie in and, and the nostalgia is as strong as it gets for me on this one. But I should say like in terms of the evolution of this series, right? Um, let's hear something off the third film soundtrack because I also had a relationship with this one. So ask that question, Adam, that you asked off mic there. I asked, how many times in the last month has this band been mentioned on the podcast? The answer is twice, and the band are Finger Eleven. They're a terribly named, but soft spot for Dave, Canadian band. I also have a bit of a soft spot for them. They were featured on, like, 
uh, I think it was the Burnout 3 soundtrack. They did, it? yeah, Stay in Shadow was oh, the name of the incredible song. Incredible tune. Uh, incredible. <laughs> I love how I knew that immediately. <laughs> so Scream 3, the album. Now, Scream 3 is one of the least good ones, I think. I don't think it's a great movie. Um, it's pretty bad. But the soundtrack, guys, was basically new metal. <laughs> so I was like... I was obsessed with it. It was on a uh, a record company called Wind Up Records, which Creed was on, and because <laughs> and because Creed are on the Scream soundtrack, I think they just like went that'll do, and we'll just throw like all of our roster onto it. So is you it, got is like it higher is higher on the soundtrack. No, the Creed song was called What If, okay, which is five minutes and nineteen seconds long. It says here you also had Joe you know track two was uh, Wait and Bleed by Slipknot. <laughs> so this is like it's and again on, they were forking they were forking out weren't uh, they? Spiders by System of a Down. Like, wow. they, were, yeah. they were paying big money for the soundtrack. And that was Suffocate by Finger Eleven. That's the first four tracks. Are you, are you kidding me? 15 year old Dave was like, well, this is Take my money, the greatest yeah. thing I've ever heard in my life. Um, but like, it was this is the kind of classic case of when they would do this where it's like music from and inspired by. Remember yeah. those soundtracks? Oh, so it's not in the movie. Some of them are, yeah. some of them aren't. But I want to talk about Wind Up Records for just a second. And by the way, just to note that this album. Uh, is 73 minutes long. Not long enough, if you ask me. Um, Wind Up Entertainment was an American independent record label uh, founded in 1997. The best-selling artists worldwide that they had on the roster were Creed and Evanescence. It folded in 2016. I want to give you some of the names on this artist roster, right? These are all real band names. You ready? Uh, Citizen Zero, Civil Twilight, Crowbot, <laughs> Uh, you got Filter, Five for Fighting. Was Filter spelled with a PH? No, actually, it isn't. No, and they're not a terrible band. It's guy. It's it's the frontman of Filter's guy called Richard Patrick. He's the brother brother of Robert Patrick, the T one thousand. Um, true story. I feel was Robert Patrick involved in music in some way, shape? Or I form? don't think so. Okay. Um, Alter Bridge were on were a previous artist. Boy hits car. I've heard of them. Creed, obviously. Drowning pool. I've heard of those. Finger Eleven. Uh, who else we got here? So yeah, it was it was it was very much of its time. Seether. Yeah, them? I remember Seether. Uh, is it just a feeling or something? Is that the uh, one that they uh, had? And a band called Feeder, Tickle Me of. Pink. Uh, they had Seether's. The only Seether song I know is one called Broken, and it was with Amy Lee of Evanescence, and it was a real. That was a real ballady kind well, of. It's terrible, and, it, and it's like <laughs> it's it's real, like you know, because I'm broken. <laughs> It's just like, yeah, yeah, it's like, I knew the way. It's, like, it's just like, it's... Yarling their lungs oh, out. Oh, it's, it's pure yarl. Anyway, uh, Scream, Scream soundtracks there. That's my number very five good. because it's it's tied to my, very much tied to my DNA. So, yeah. and again, you can't give me a new Metal Scream album like, <laughs> and not expect me to lose my fucking mind. Nisha, can we have your number four, please? Oh, yes. Um, yes, my number four. Well, uh, this one is a really deep, nostalgic one as well. Um, I think we all kind of grew up probably watching this. I have like a deep love for it. I also like to make fun of it a lot. Um, and it's also the one that I found the hardest to pick a track from. But here we go. Uh, this is my number four.
yeah, that was uh, Pretty in Pink by Psychedelic Furs from the film Pretty in Pink. Can I make the confession now that I've never seen Pretty in Pink? Oh! <laughs> and I, that would make two of us, Dave. And I what? also, I know it's weird uh, that I haven't, and I also always confuse it with uh, 16 Candles, which I believe is the problematic one. It's probably, yeah, that's problematic. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's anything in particular particularly uh, problematic and pretty and pink to my knowledge maybe someone will DM me and tell me now how dare you <laughs> the length of that message um, it was 1986 guys it was a different time different 97 time. minutes I mean I, sh- I, I might I might watch this tonight it's it's really good okay so like a couple of things about this particular film is one uh, Harry Dean Stanton the is, best. is her dad in it and like he is not playing your run of the mill like just like teen movie dad that man is you look at his face and it's the face of like haggard despair as he's That's raising his, son. <laughs> yeah he's raising his teenage daughter and he's dying inside as he does it and there's a heartbreaking like scene where he like buys her a dress oh it's amazing um and then you've got uh obviously the I, I think that this is a really good test for like where you are in your emotional maturity by who you fancy because uh, there's like three kind of handsome people that she kind of can choose between kind of um, and there's obviously Ducky who's like the best friend played by um, John Cryer John Cryer of Two and a Half Men fame yeah and he's really cute in this is he? <laughs> yeah he is no he like look just trust me you watch it he is cute but he is kind of also got some nice guy syndrome in it yeah yeah you know he's the why doesn't she love me she should love me kind of thing I'm, I'm there such for a nice her all guy. the time what about, and we, uh, what, what, what about 80s hunk Andrew McCarthy <sighs> You see, this is the thing. Like Andrew McCarthy is the boring choice, but he's the right choice. His name is Blaine, and I think uh, he lives in Northern Ireland now. Andrew McCarthy, he? or he's married to an Northern Irish woman, or I something. Can check that. He definitely. I don't think we need to check the whereabouts of. Uh, <laughs> we need of to 80s. find out where he is right I just, now. I just love those like tiny. He definitely has an movie. Irish connection. That, like, I, I do love Andrew McCarthy. I mean, also like Saint Thomas Fire. You know, could crack in that, but um, he's like. <sighs> His kissing, uh, him and Molly Ringwald kissing is one of the most awkward end <laughs> of movie kisses I've seen. Like, they look like they're just stabbed. Like, they're just, it's not right. No like, chemistry. it's not happening. Um, and then, of course, James Spader is the sexy, mean guy. Speaking of 80s heartthrobs. Yeah. How does that yeah. happen, though? James, <laughs> James Spader. Spader is the most terrifying man ever. <laughs> All I know, like, I know him best as Robert California in, 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 <laughs> the, in, the, in the US office, and it's fucking terrifying. He is. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, secretary... Amazing. Yeah. Um, he was a big deal in the sex 80s. Sex life and videotape. Him and like Rob Lowe. He was also in Wall Street as well at one point. A film that you gave one star to recently. Garbage didn't finish it. <laughs> DNF? Terrible. Okay, I've actually never seen it. I, I actually I, haven't I, watched it either. I'm a bit allergic to Charlie Sheen, I will say that. I think most of the world mm. is, yeah. to be fair. Yeah, you can't like... I didn't know what I know now. Maybe. So, okay, so, 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 pretty in pink. You're saying wall to wall bangers. You find it hard to pick one song. What else we got here? Um, well, you've got um, Suzanne Vega, Left to Center, which is great. In excess, do what you do. Um, you've got New Order, Shell Shock, which is pretty amazing. Um, 
then uh, Echo and the Bunnymen bring on the dancing horses. The Smiths, God help us, please, please, please let me get what I want, which is obviously more synonymous with Ferris than it is with this, but it's on this soundtrack as well. Um, there's It's a lot of 80s bangers. And then there's orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Oh, my boys. If you leave, which is like, and the video is all pretty, Her like Molly Ringwald's face is the moon and he's singing to it. And there's a sax solo, of course there is. Um, and when I hear that song, I almost chose that song uh, because it was the song on the soundtrack that I can't hear it and not immediately think of Andrew McCarthy and Molly Ringwald's awkward kissing. Like, it's like immediately I'm like, oh, it brings you back. She also, I have to say, for anybody who has watched Pretty Pink, because everybody knows about this, but she, part of the thing is that she makes her own clothes. Like, she's really fashionable, you know. She puts things together and everyone's like, oh, you're so stylish. And she, like, absolutely hacks up too perfectly respectable prom dresses <laughs> and makes an abomination <laughs> of a shapeless tube dress and when she turns up everyone's like oh whoa and I, I remember the first time watching that and going the fuck is she wearing it's the worst dress I've ever seen in my fucking life and, we, and I watched it with a friend and we were like how is this? I remember drawing. I was like, I just drew a triangle. I was like, this is what she's wearing. Like, it's just, it's so bad. And it's such a sad moment. And they're Single all, tear. It's the, and I assume everyone else is like, wow, I've never seen a pretty wow. girl like that before. It was so. like if like the she's all that scene, but she like comes down the stairs and she's just wearing like a triangle. Yeah. And everyone's like, <laughs> Freddie Prince Jr. was like, oh my God. Um, you know, but it was, it was just, uh, it was a terrible dress. But she's, Studying enough, she gets away with this. You know? I mentioned real quick there that OMD or Castamanuas in the darker my boys, and what I mean by that is I interviewed them uh, live hot press picnic one year, and it was like, uh, but it was like when Hot Press has the, the, the tenth thing, and it, you know it was really awkward the setup because now they've got like you know couches and people sit like we are right now, but it was just like they had like a long table and you sat at the table with them like you'd sign like them. It was a press conference, like, <laughs> like you'd sign them for your football club. <laughs> And so it was just really awkward. And like, I was, I was super nervous doing live interviews all weekend. And you don't know how it's going to go and how the crowd are going to be or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But when it was over, like, and they were great, by the way, they were excellent. They were really, really cool. I interviewed That's them one awesome. more time on the phone and they were great. But like, at the end of it, my brain took leave of what of my senses. And I didn't even realize, I didn't even mean to say this. And I went, ladies and gentlemen, I said, please be upstanding for orchestral music. Dark. And everyone fucking did. Incredible. I got them a standing O. Deserved. So there you go. Deserved. You could call it a standing Wonderful. OMD. Yeah. Now, what, what I will say, is um, weird synergy on this one because my number four is uh, the same band you've just picked. Let's hear them again, shall we? It is, of course, Psychedelic Furs once again. It's Love My Way. And uh, it's not, I'm not picking Call Me By Your Name uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because that wouldn't be nostalgic for me because it came out not that long ago. And two, I don't think it's that great. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I will say, though, and I know he's super cancelled for being a fucking weirdo, but Army Hammer dancing to this song in that movie is a great scene. Like, it's genuinely an excellent scene. And like it's very evocative and cool. But I've picked The Wedding Singer. So there you go. Yes. I have to say, when I saw... He, this was like 
a potential pick for you. I was like, that's I could I can't believe I didn't think of it myself because it's incredible soundtrack. It's a tricky one because like I thought about for example like because like this soundtrack includes lots of obviously you know eurocentric music including like ninety nine Luft Balloons, but like and I, I said to myself I was like well if you're gonna pick this why wouldn't you pick Gross Point Blank, uh, which is a film I I remain obsessed with and a soundtrack I remain obsessed with and Joe Strummer curated that soundtrack and it's just wall to wall classics, but like in a weird way. Even though, yes, I saw Gross Point Blank when I was a teenager, and yes, I'm obsessed with it, I don't feel the sense of nostalgic teen. I, I don't know what it is. For some reason, this came to mind ahead of this, and it's a film I've seen a lot less, and a film I'm actually scared to go back to, because I remember it being brilliant, and I'm really afraid that if I watch it now, The Wedding Singer, I won't like it as much as I did when I was younger. It had a kind of a weird magic to it. And I do remember just blasting the CD constantly, including like the skits, like, you know, Adam Sandler singing, you know, Somebody Kill Me, which is very funny. Yeah, there's like original music in this as well. Yeah. Yeah, And like, I think, did you have the cover of Video Kill the Radio Star by Presence of the USA? Or is that a different film? Is my brain breaking? I think that's on. uh, Do you know what's weird? It's like, I. But it did have all the classics. It had, yeah, it had, um, yeah, no, sorry, I am right. It did have that because mm-hmm. that was like, you know, a weird kind of like anachronistic thing, but we're doing it. And I was like, this is kind of cool, but it's got everything. It's got How Soon Is Now. You know, it's got Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen. It's got Money, That's What I Want. It's got the fucking Miami Vice theme. Yeah. Come on. Sold. Like, it's got Blue Monday, New Order, of course. Not it's really. got Hall the Notes. Uh, it's got this. It's got China Girl, which, you know, problematic song, David Bowie, but, you yeah. know, of its time. Uh, it's got everything. Every little thing she does is magic by the police. Who was I talking to the other day? I think the police came on in a pub I was in, and they were like, you know, they're like, I don't really know the police that well. And I was like, you don't have to. They're terrible. Like, <laughs> I, think, I think the police are kind of garbage, right? Uh, <laughs> like, I think yeah, I would be in that. That school of thought, like, personally, w- yeah. What's a good police song? Message in a the bottle. The stocky one? The stocky one that everyone plays at their wedding, which is fucking which weird. Which is weird. Very, very weird. Don't Stand Too Close To Me, which is also a problematic song because yeah. it's mm-hmm. about fancying a student. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's also uh, Englishman in New York. Or is that is that just a Sting original? I think that's a Sting, isn't it? Maybe. But it's the, it's the Alan Partridge gag of, you know, that was the police, or as they're now known, Sting. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but The Wedding Singer, yeah. Evocative as hell. Um, uh, uh, what is your take on this movie? Um, I'm so glad you chose this. And that in a weird, uh, strange synchronicity about uh several months ago i rebought the wedding singer soundtrack on cd nice and was driving around dublin with my mother listening to it and like we were singing along to everything and i actually also rewatched it a while ago and it does hold up okay, i think it holds good. up uh, really well um and what's great about soundtracks again but like a good soundtrack and you know the, how you know it's a good soundtrack and the music supervision has been really good is as you listed every song every scene that the song played yeah. I was just like oh it's, that's the one in the club and that's a thing and how soon as now is when his ex turns up on his lawn and you know the whole thing yeah, like yeah. every bit was like Oh, I remember that, and and I think that's just the like absolute chef's kiss of knowing that that's good music. This situation. one, the psychedelic first one, plays when they're outside the club, and yeah. she's got she's vomited. She, yeah. she being Drew Barrymore, my 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 lifelong crush. Aww. Although you know she's cancelled now because you know it's Gab. So remember the whole thing about her wanting to bring back her TV show during the during the strike. The strike. Yeah. yeah, and then there was all this. You know, we've made the decision to pause it. And so yeah, after people were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> but uh, Drew sorry. Barrymore forever, everybody. But um, yeah, I will. I, I don't know. I think I, I, there's something about it where I'm like, I find it hard to step back into that particular space. 
But maybe, maybe this soundtrack will help me do it. Do so. you think it's like one of those things where it's better off like knowing it, what it f- means to you in that world without having to revisit it, or like feeling like I'm okay with it with parking it? Don't be, don't be sad that it's over. Be happy that it happened. <laughs> <It's something like laughs> that, I guess. Well, uh, it's more like I, you know, I'm happy knowing. Like, or, 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 I don't want to ruin it for myself if I watch it again and uh, maybe find uh, something in it or something. It, like that, you know it's I mean? hard if you don't know as well. Like revisiting nostalgic, like. One of I was considering on this list as well, like putting um, the soundtrack for Stealing Beauty oh, yeah. by Bernardo Berlucci. But then I was like, I don't want to go back and revisit that film considering how much of a creep Bernardo Berlucci is. <laughs> That's a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's thankfully less problematic. I think it's more like the other films that we've mentioned and ones I will continue to mention I have kept up with over the years yeah. but with this I'm like I don't think I've watched The Wedding Singer since like the fucking DVD era if that so it's I'm like good. Okay, it's good it's still okay. good you know and you've got that really great sort of like uh, Buscemi kind of cameo God, bit he was in it but he's in all about uh, himself stuff, yeah, so that yeah, makes yeah. sense yeah. really fun okay it. okay I'll yeah. do it so I've got Pretty in Pink and I've got The Wedding Singer I'm going to have a hell of a weekend yeah. ahead of me <laughs> what, a, what a double bill actually, uh, yeah. can we have your number three please Nisha absolutely right so my number three is a very classic teen movie that um, is just has carved like some of the films that we've kind of talked about are kind of cult this one carved its name permanently in pop culture it's still relevant it's still referred to all the time um it's really fun very well written and has a great soundtrack That, of course, is The Muffs with Kids in America and the soundtrack is Clueless. Yes, indeed. What a choice. I said to you there as the song kicked in that I nearly chose this. That's wild. Uh, a film I revisited relatively recently and I think holds up extremely well. Yeah. Really fun. Yeah. Really good. Um, and I love The Muffs. I mean, Kim Shatuk little wonderful Kim Shatuk who sadly made it to the Pixies for like two seconds and then, you know. But um, uh, this is, I think, the best version of Kids in America. Um, I will say. Big that claim. Big claim. Bit, I think it's better than Kim Wilde. I'm going to throw it out there. I know that's crazy. <laughs> I know it's crazy, but it's nostalgically my favorite. But this this soundtrack is killer. I think it's really, really good. Um, you've got your, you've got the muffs. You've got uh, some luscious Jackson, very of the time. Um, you've got uh, Beastie Boys, uh, Supergrass, um, Cranberries some, are huh? in there. The Cranberries are in there, aren't they? The Cranberries, I think, feature. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that's in the, the movie. That in the movie, make like, it so to- I'm just a girl is yeah. in the movie, and it's so iconically like it's a real like iconic kind of placement of it. I think it's part of the opening. But it isn't on the actual soundtrack. It's kind of one of those things like Romeo and Michelle, mm. like that opens the the film, and it's uh, 
it's it's very iconic as well. But uh, we also have uh, the acoustic version of pa- fake plastic trees playing. In, yeah, because that's when uh, Paul Rudd is driving. Uh, you know, share home and his girlfriends in the car as well. It's just to show Paul Rudd's real deep because he re- listens to Radiohead. <laughs> you also have uh, the Money Money Boston's are in the movie. Yes. Um, and are they, yeah, they're doing a, a couple of songs, I think. So they are. They perform, and it's it's really like indicative of that time in the nineties where there definitely had to be a band. Some people had to be wearing trilbies, and there was a horn section. Yeah, and like yeah. that was that's a teen movie right there. <laughs> yeah, hundred yeah. percent. Like the cran- yeah, the cranberries get like get like play in it, and I remember just being like, really, I, I didn't realize that this was actually still a thing. So I'm going back to my review here uh, from the 20th of February of this year. This and, is Letterbox. Well, on Letterbox, yeah. And so I've said, um, tremendously rewatchable. But at the end of it, I've said a uh, killer soundtrack too. Even if I don't quite buy slick, dead-eyed Los Angeles teenagers worshiping the cranberries now. I've had people say, you're wrong, Dave. They did travel and people did actually like them and it was seen as hipster cool for mm-hmm. young kind of preppy college kids to listen to the Cranberries. So shows what I know. <laughs> I think that's true because they do turn up on a fair few uh, soundtracks. Yeah, that is true. Um, and so I think they did come across. I mean, like, I was kind of thinking actually recently about like the bands that kind of go across a load of sound. Like I was choosing, a f- I, I changed this list a lot because I had a very long list and I was kind of like going to, I was like, you know, trying to work out what was the most iconic. And then I realized I just really didn't want to talk about Smash Mouth that much. Because, <laughs> <laughs> because they were just, I was like, ah, oh God, I got to mention them like three times if I go with this. Yeah. Um, and they were, but, on, they were on Rat Race or like they were in Rat Race, the movie as well. So I, I think, I think All Star was written for Mystery Men. Was it the film? Because like, again, I was having this conversation with Mark Conroy the other day and we were saying that like the video for All Star features you know. all the mystery men yeah I didn't know so like it was mis- written for mystery men but Shrek made it famous exactly I think that's the case amazing so, and it is from that time period as well when like you know the music video would have scenes from the movie that was everywhere yeah you know, even if it was something like Kiss from a Rose by Seal, which only appears on the end and credits. And the end credits about, wasn't in but Batman in the, Begins? Forever. forever. Begins. Oh, forever. Yeah. Yes, Christopher Nolan's gritty reboot. Sorry, not, that's, yeah, that's the one Kiss I meant. From a Rose. I did mean the Val Kilmer one. I did uh, mean the Val Kilmer one. We also do have to say how much like some of the Batman soundtracks, like Batman Returns, Slap and Soundtrack. Yeah, uh, Susie Sue's Face to Face, my favourite Susie song on that, which I think is... Batman just, Forever like, has some insane shit and it has yeah. like Flaming Lips, it has U2's best song of all Hold time. Hold me, thrill me, kiss, kiss me, kill me. kill me. It's true. I agree with that. I there's also, that um, there's also, we may or may not dig it out, but I can just do the impression here. There's like, there's a great, you mentioned Batman Begins, right? And there's yeah. like this, like there's this AB, you go onto YouTube, there's this ABC family, that network, ABC family. And it's like, it's like coming up on Sunday, new Batman. And it's like, it's like, it's like, it's Batman Begins is like playing, like it's like the network premiere of Batman Begins. And I, I and the way that they sell this fucking movie on ABC family is, it's unbelievable. It's like, it's like Christian Bale and Katie Holmes and then it just like shows them kind of like canoodling and then it goes he fights for family and lives for love and I was like what the fuck is this <laughs> who wrote this copy Damn. it's great give him a raise it's great oh stuff uh, speaking, speaking of great stuff uh, I think kind of slightly like different kind of film but certainly of the time this movie is uh, from 1996 and uh, it's a, a vivid collision of all kinds of things including audio and here's some of that actually what I will say is here's a young plucky young Irish artist who's sure to go far (laughs) 
So yeah, that wasn't Bono, but it was Bono's best friend. It's Gavin Friday Yay. with Angel, which is a fucking amazing song. And it's taken from what film? Do, do we know? Romeo and Juliet. Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet. Plus Juliet. And do, I'm going to interrupt you here. Nisha, would you like to jump in here? Oh, no way. Chance? <laughs> well, I'll tell you that my next number two. Perfect. I'm delighted. I'm delighted. It's Romeo plus Juliet. Yeah, I think we should just um, jump yeah. straight into it. Really. Yeah, hit the clip. That is my choice, and my number two is uh, the wonderful talk show host by Radiohead from Romeo Plus Juliet. Yes. I think we open up the floor here to discuss this soundtrack then, shall we? Yeah. It's an incredible soundtrack. It's an incredible <laughs> film. And again, I rewatched it about a year ago. Uh, one of the ones I would have seen when I was younger, and I think at the time I, I, I was overwhelmed by it. Were you? Oh my God. I mean, I was obsessed with the soundtrack. Um, even less, like, even from like everything on it even Everclear like is that track like absolutely kicks um, I loved the film I probably just rinsed that soundtrack way more than I obviously did even the film and I think it must be like one of the most popular soundtracks I think I remember like I was doing a bit of research on it and it sold three and a half million copies in the states <laughs> wow. alone Looking incredible like wow. that's just in the states several million world, worldwide there's a volume one and volume two volume two is all the kind of the score work yes. and the orchestral and stuff the but like and of course there is so much of it because like if anyone has somehow not seen Baz Luhrmann's Romeo plus Juliet um, it is of course the modernization of Romeo and Juliet in a MTV style that's kind of how it was sold and it's DiCaprio you know uh, pre-Titanic a year pre-Titanic isn't it It I, it I, is. I it guess is. Yeah, yeah. Be the man yeah. To know. Claire Danes as well, and like they're you know beautiful young people, and the, the tragic. All, we all know what Romeo and Juliet is, guys. Yeah. Um, but it's just so vivid from the off. But they're speaking in the in the bard's text, and but they've updated everything else. You know, like swords in this movie are guns. guns you yeah. know, and like you have all this kind of stuff. Everyone is fucking incredible. John Leguizamo is Tybalt. So good. Astonishingly so good. So good. Everyone's um, having also- so much fun. A little shout out to Paul Rudd and his tiny part in this because it is Paris, so funny yeah. when he plays Paris and he's like coming out of the he comes out of the lift as they enter the party and Paul Rudd just gives this weird like head like part. <laughs> <laughs> he's like yeah I can see him doing and, it and right uh, I just remember like watching that and be like who's that guy that guy I, he's definitely he's gonna, gonna go places he's gonna yeah. that guy's going places <laughs> you also of course have Harold Perrineau as Mercutio with one of the greatest performances ever on screen I Yes, he is amazing. Exceptional. Yeah, unbelievable. Um, if you ever watch the television show Oz, you'll know how good that guy can be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It's a one. It, the whole film is just a vivid. It's it's, it's Baz Luhrmann. He's just machine gunning you for yeah. the entire time. And yeah, even like that scene that you mentioned at the party. Like you know, here's how good this film is. It makes a Desiree song good. You know. <laughs> Even Desiree sounds good. Is Love Fool by the Cardigans a good song? I feel like it's one of those ones where you could not escape it. And I, I feel like my brain turned against it at a certain point. Not my favorite Cardigans song. I like the Cardigans. Right, I dig it. Um, I would say that when it came out, it was it's a really fun song. I mean, there's there's kind of 
I, I, I'd say I have. I would never go seeking love for. Like I'd never no. be like. But you like, don't I have really to. Want it to. fucking <laughs> seeks you. Like it just <laughs> shows up everywhere. Everywhere. If we were gonna go for kind of more kitsch nineties um, nostalgic songs that I do throw on from time to time, I would say the You and Me song by One of Dies um, is a very like it's really kitsch, but it's it's really fun, and I I definitely would be like, oh yeah, when I hear that, I'm like, I'm like 13 again. I love this uh, hanging out with like my best friend. Um, the use also, you know, you played it there, but the use of talk show host in this is amazing because it's just this is all about you know like DiCaprio, the Boy King, and you have all these just like languid shots of him looking tortured on a beach in a oversized oh suit, you know, and just like you know like he's he's the the embodiment of pure innocent love, and just yeah, it's it's. it's it's perfect and everyone's just like so tortured and angsty that's that's the song that's playing as we intro to Romeo and he's like sitting on the boardwalk and he's like smoking a cigarette he's he's smoking a cigarette he's writing his poetry he's like ultimate tortured like poet fuck boy (laughs) and then his like his parents are like oh we're so worried about Romeo and they pull up and they like expectantly look at the window and he's like not today and he's like wanders off smokes his cigarettes like on Venice Beach and you're like Um, the first brick in the workman's mortar years and years away yeah, yeah absolutely the, amazing the first time I saw this movie was in school yeah but yeah the, yeah we were yeah. showing it as well because yeah. uh, like our, our <laughs> the English teacher I had at the time was a bit of a maverick and he was like let me show you some real cinema you know what <laughs> I mean, mean that, that could have gone anyway <laughs> <laughs> I was showing Requiem for a Dream in school by the Fancy. way are you well, serious I am completely serious like that's fantastic. Yeah, it all happened. It was all that's, shown. Yeah. That like that was traumatic for me as an adult. I rewatched it recently, and I was still traumatized. Like it's, it's so fun. Like the, all aspects of yeah. that are. It's traumatic. a great movie, but it's also very yeah, tough. But I, I know I, I'm pretty sure my brain is not inventing this, and we were in fact shown the film Requiem for a Dream <laughs> in religion class. But anyway, we are oh we're also shown Romeo and Juliet. Yeah. So, Adam, you mentioned earlier on you were like, why did I watch the motion picture Blood Diamond at the weekend? Yeah, which then contributed to my watching of the motion picture. <laughs> Blood Diamonds. You're half watching it. I've, I've watched half of it. I will finish it. Wiser man than I. Leonardo DiCaprio in Blood Diamond, which he received a Best Actor nomination for, is one of the most insane performances I've ever seen in my entire life. He's playing a. Uh, he's doing. He's doing patois. Like he's doing Creole. Like yeah. he's doing. It's just. It's very. It's a borderline his racist. His character's called take, Danny yeah. Ar- Borderline racist. <laughs> his character's called Danny Archer, but it's Danny Archie. Like it's just. It, it, I don't know what he's doing. It's cartoonish. He's a Zimbabwe. And oh. like, but he corrects mercenary. He said he Jennifer claims Connelly. he's from Rhodesia, Rhodesia. Yeah. which is the former name of Zimbabwe. And she's like, isn't it Zimbabwe now? And he's like, is it? It's all. Yeah. Uh, it's all. And he's doing lots of huh. Yeah, like, there's like, a lot of A's at the end of he, every he, sentence. He, he, so. It's unbelievable. Like, uh, there's also the infamous line in this one. He says to Jennifer, he says it's about the it's about the diamond trade, the illegal blood diamond trade, and. She's a, this kind of journalist, and they flourish, and it's terrible. And you know, he says he's like he's like out there, it's it's bling bling, but out here, it's bling bang, eh? And it's just like I, the Oscar nom- best actor Oscar nomination. Like I like DiCaprio. Whoever but. was calling the shots needed their eyes checked because yeah. that was it's it, just, it's, it's, it's a. It's a crime. It's a crime. <laughs> performance is terrible. But not yeah. a crime is Romeo and Juliet. It's amazing. I'm glad that we linked crime up on passion. that one. Uh, it is crime and passion. There you go. That's correct. Um, That's a link, ladies and gentlemen. You're you're learning from the best. <laughs> yeah, um, that's very true. So, uh, we'll jump to my number two then, when yeah. we, which will actually give us a blast. It's an in-scene clip, so we're going to get a blast of like uh, one song quite seamlessly mixed into another. So here we go. How do you know their name? I know a lot about you. Who are you? 
My name is Trinity. Trinity. The Trinity? That cracked the IRSD base. That was a long time ago. Jesus. What? I just thought, um... You were a guy. Most guys do. That was you and my computer. How did you do that? Right now, all I can tell you... Yeah, of course, it's The Matrix, everybody, and that was Keanu Reeves talking to Carrie Ann Moss. Uh, Neo failing the feminism test there, as he, you know, assumed that the hacker was was a man, couldn't possibly be a woman. But no, it was, it was Trinity. And what we heard there, briefly in the club scene, was Rob Zombie's Dragula... Amazing, what melting, a track. <laughs> melting into minefields by the prodigy. What's really funny is that I was talking to my boyfriend before I left... And we were talking about his choices because I was talking to friends over the last few days and and talking to him and he was like, well, first off, it would be The Matrix and it would be Dracula by Rob Zombie. And I was like, okay, amazing choice. You got like Spy Break by The Propeller Heads. You've got, of course, Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine, which closes the movie. And, you know, my my long running joke that I stole from someone else is, wouldn't it be great if every single film ever ended with Wake Up by Rage Against the Machine? It would work in every, there's no circumstance that it wouldn't work in. Killers of the Flower Moon, like, you know, get it in there at the scene at at the scene where it's like the the actual tribe doing the don't spoil the end of that movie people haven't sat through it yet it's quite long yeah it's been out long enough it is it's a classic this is a classic 15 year old boy pick because it's the most 15 year old boy movie ever made now there's more depth to it than that but at the time you know I remember and I remember very specifically walking home with my friend having seen it and I remember just feeling 10 feet tall and a lot of it was because of that Rage Against the Machine song crashing you back into out of the cinema into the street and I do think The Matrix actually has been decent with music across the way I mean like the second one also closes with a Rage song Calm Like a Bomb you got a kind of terrible P.O.D. song called Sleeping Awake but because when I worked in Extravision you talk about nostalgia Sound like Andy Gray now. You talk about nostalgia. <laughs> I my very first day in the job in Extravision was the day that the Matrix Reloaded came out on DVD and at the time VHS, and so it was playing on the screens, and I would hear those kick-ins like four or five times that day, and I remember as well being like, "This is such a weird thing" because like I've always wanted to work in this job, and also at the time. I had like six months prior when the film was in the cinemas, I was in a, a psychiatric hospital and I remember like people talking about The Matrix Reloaded at the time or something. I think I saw it either just before I went in or when I came out or something, but like, it, it's just this weird tie in. And again, it's that nostalgia thing as well where like you misremember certain details and it's kind of like a half remembered dream or something. But like, yeah, The Matrix, like, like it's kind of one of those things where like I know it, yeah, it's cool guns and it's whatever, but like you know, there's more to it. And of course, you know, in the years gone by, it, we look back at it now and we're like, oh, it was clearly a trans allegory the whole time. And, you know, the morons over here who don't understand that seem to really not understand that. And so, yeah, but it was dressed up in this incredible fucking package. And it was, I hadn't seen anything like it ever. And I hadn't heard anything like it on the cinema screens and just the music and every, even that club scene, I was like, this is so immersive. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm still kind of hooked on it all these years later. Keanu Reeves is a massive fan of a club scene just before we move on further. <laughs> That's true. Like, yeah, yeah. John Wick, Matrix, he's got it all. You can't make either film without having a club scene. Yeah, 100%. Fair. Anyway, sorry for... And Constantine. But sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I, I just, I, I completely agree. Uh, it's such an influential film and that, that soundtrack was amazing. And I also just have to jump in on a slight side note, but you worked in Extravision, I also worked in Extravision. No way. Uh, which branch? Oh, I was in Shankill, I was in... Um, Shankill, Ballybrack, Glenagiri. Wow. Uh, and Dalkey. 
I was Drahada occasionally. Like I think I worked in like Dundalk once or twice, and once in like Balbriggan or something when you had to like cover staff or whatever. But like Drahada was my main base. So, um, yeah. What what years? Like what was the? I was there two thousand and. Seven? That's when I finished. Ah. <laughs> I was 03 to 07. I think I was 2007 to 2010. Okay. To around then. It's a very nostalgia, I think, defining thing because you're surrounded by all the fucking movies in the world. I know? was, and I was such a film film freak, yeah. you know, growing up uh, that like all I wanted to do was work in extravision. In fact, I was like working in the spa beside the extravision and I used to go in like all the time and be like how many jobs and they were like oh yeah and then they said did they ever send you did you ever go to one of those cattle call interviews I went to like when they have like they were bringing oh, they you have out like to, 60 people there or like, yeah it's insane I've it done it before so oh, no, no. Weird. I got lucky I think there was just like opposition going and I somehow so, just landed mm. I went in there and I, I didn't get the job but then I just randomly like got the job in the and I couldn't tell which way from where whence the uh, the position came but the position came up and I ended up in there and uh, it was to be honest it was one of my favourite jobs I ever had yeah, it was it really was, fun it was me too it was the class case of like it was amazing until it wasn't but it oh. was amazing for a long time and I was your TPT Oh, Jesus Christ. That just, yeah, explain that to the to listener if you uh, can. TBT, when you work to extrusion, is tapes per transaction. Oh, and so... Uh, just you're, shuddered there for a second. I know. Uh, so there would be like, you know, if you had a, a manager or whoever would uh, encourage you to up your TBT to at least a, around a two. Yeah. Uh, if you had above a 1.5, which is 1.5 DVDs per transaction, uh, that would be a good TBT. But if you were around a one TBT consistently... <laughs> Uh, you would get a you would get a talking to. Yeah. It's kind of thing that like sucked the life out of the job. The job was supposed to be fucking Empire Records. Okay, that's the yeah. whole point. <laughs> that's what we wanted. Anyway, anyway, let's let's move on. Matrix is great. I hope your boyfriend is happy to hear it uh, included in the list. Uh, can we have your number one? I believe. My number one. My number one. My favorite uh, teen movie of all time. My absolute love this movie so much. Love this soundtrack could probably quote the entire movie uh, and have been in love with it uh, and still watch it uh, on, um, uh, on the regular. Um, that was, of course, the wonderful Dada with This Is The Day. And this is a slight cheat because it's not actually on the ST, the official ST, but it features in the movie. And I couldn't 
not pick it because it's the most iconic mo- moment I think in the in the movie, and it's from Empire Records. I'm delighted that it made it in. Absolutely thrilled. <laughs> I didn't pick it, so. Oh my god! But there's so many yeah, ones here because yeah. the, I'm even finding myself at this conversation being like, "Oh, apologies to Julie Hawk forever because I didn't pick Hackers. It's not here." Uh, <laughs> Hackers but again, amazing. I think Hackers is in a different kind of space yeah. for me, so it will feature at some point. It's amazing, but yeah, Empire Records. Um, like I said to you earlier on, this is a divisive movie. Y- you say you can quote the entire thing. I can and quote I a lot you. of it. I believe uh, yeah, you. Um, and it's it's actually probably very annoying to watch the movie with me. <laughs> you know, just especially the amphetamine scene. Or it's like, it's fair, it's fair. Perfect, perfect life. Who's your favorite character? My perfect. Again, uh, my favorite character. Oh God. Well. You see, that's changed over the years because I think when I first watched it, it was it was Lucas, mm-hmm. um, but now I think it's Mark. So if people haven't seen this movie, it's about a ragtag group of people, all very written, who work in this kind of very like old style. Think of like Virgin Megastore when it was on Aston Key, this kind of baroque record store that they're in, and it's an independent chain, and they're threatened to be either shut down or taken over by a bigger thing. And Lucas, the aforementioned Lucas, who I love, I think yeah. he, there's a scene in this movie where Lucas like does a dance move um and i i've always thought it was the coolest thing ever yeah. like just the way he moves like he contorts his body i was like this is like the coolest fucking thing i've ever seen and basically he um loses all the money um by going to vegas because he tried to like you know win enough money to like save the thing but he inadvertently has now cost them sure doom and all these people have to band together but they're all having all these kind of personal issues and the music is unbelievable it's uh yeah it's 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 a trip but people some people think this movie sucks i yes i i was i'm still shocked that people think this movie sucks i think it's 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 i i think it still holds up i think it's really fun i mean I also think like um I think with this movie it's like that if you can't enjoy Empire this is terrible I'm going to really divide some people out there <laughs> if you can't enjoy Empire Records I think the I think that says something <laughs> You don't it's, know joy I well do you know that do you know that I was talking to 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 my boyfriend about this but do you know the the bird the relationship bird test no. Right. So there's this. Uh, there was this like psychi- uh, psychologist who like um, watched watched couples, um, but was like um, had like couples go to a B and B and would just like monitor them to see like about relationship dynamics and about what makes a successful relationship. And um, he said that like the one thing that you could like define that would actually uh, tell you whether a relationship was going to continue to succeed or was, you know, had longevity was if uh, one person pointed out the window and went, oh, a bird, and the other person was like, oh, yeah, that was cool. <laughs> well, like, if you can tell a lot about a dynamic in a relationship, like if someone's like, oh, a bird or a horse or whatever, and the other person's like, not that interested or dismissive or rolls their eyes or whatever, that shows this like really core kind of conflict suddenly replaying every single interaction of this nature I've ever had with a partner or, <laughs> or, or a prospective partner over, <laughs> over my life so um, and I think you know Empire Records I think for that you, know, you throw Empire Records on you're like ah and they're, if they're like if they watch like uh, uh, Anthony LaPaglia's uh, drumming scene so to ACDC yeah. and they're just like I don't know it's not real you know like I'd be like 
I, that's mm. fair. I think, yeah, I think if I was going out with a girl and I was like, we're going to watch Empire Records tonight, we're going to watch Empire Records tonight, <laughs> baby. <laughs> it was a weird hypothetical relationship. As we all say, in. at some yeah. point. Date night. Yeah. 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 <laughs> if, I, if I put on a movie, you know, to anybody, that's what I got to say. If I buy a ticket in, in, in the cinema, I'm in like, the cinematheque. Yeah, one for, in, in the cinematheque, <laughs> one for Anatomy of a Fall, please, baby. Um, yeah, I think if I was, I think if she was like, you know, I know this film is terrible, I'd be like, well, we're not going to make it, are we? You know? Yeah. I, I was talking to the guys in work today about this, and one of the guys I work with said that um, he was in a relationship years ago, and he said that when they left the cinema, he said, I don't know what film it was, but he said to her, he was like, uh, what did you think? And apparently she said like, oh, I hope I hope you don't think we're going to like have some kind of like cinematic analysis of the film we just watched. And he was like, and that's when I knew. <laughs> he was like, it was this, this was over. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just like, uh, there it can go a long way, you know? There are a couple of movies, like there's definitely a couple of movies out there that like if somebody was like, oh, I don't get this movie, I don't like it, or it's not for me, I'd be like, I don't think we're gonna... I'd like, I'd, I'd, Eternal Sunshine would be that. If somebody watched Eternal Sunshine was like, I fucking hate that movie, I'd be like, I don't think we're but gonna make it. that film feels designed to have that exact conversation and also to, to, to split people up in a way, so... What's, my brother said when... Um, he's a lot older, but like, when Magnolia came out, uh, he remembers... Um, uh, Three couples he knew went to see it in the cinema and split up right after. <laughs> wow. Three couples, yeah. It's a very depressing It's one film. of those movies where you watch it. I think that's it's that whole sort of conversation that you have at the dinner table, like where it's just like, uh, you know, uh, they have that conversation where it's like, uh, let's just like not, you know, do yeah, this. To find the relationship. I would say it boils down to the... Amy Mann sing-along scene in that movie. Oh, oh my God, which, it is. It's so bleak. It, but, so bleak. It, but it's the yeah. greatest scene ever. And, it's fantastic. And there, yeah. and there are people who hate that scene and you know who you are and I know who you are and I know that you're listening, but you're wrong. <laughs> it's fucking amazing. It's, um, a, it's a great scene. And also that soundtrack is like in my DNA. Like that was also The Amy Mann Magnolia one. That Magn oh yeah. my God. There's not a song that I haven't like bowled to on that what soundtrack. What about Empire Records though? Because of course this is a yeah. film that closes with with Rene Zellweger belting it out, you know? And I yes. don't think that's on the soundtrack somehow. It is. It's, it's, it, well, is it? it's not her version. Yeah. So we have a real um, situation like uh, the Scott Pilgrim soundtrack with uh, oh, Black Bre Sheep. Brie Larson, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is pretty the, great, in fairness. The Brie Larson version, yeah. I prefer. I, I can see that. I, I'm, I'm so sorry I can see that. To, uh, to the band, but I, I prefer the Brie Larson one, but, you know, obviously that one didn't go on the soundtrack. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sugar High by Coyote Shivers, uh, and they add new lyrics to it, and they make a, uh, they take out uh, the very explicit references to oral sex, um, and, uh, but it's a, it's a rather good time. Um, I think I discovered a lot of, you know, like a lot of bands from there, like Toad the Wet Sprocket, and it has cranberries on it. Yes, it does. Um, you know, you've got uh, all the the Innocence Mission, which uh, that Bright as Yellow song I love. I was kind of trying to work out which one I would choose off the soundtrack. I, I was really obsessed with dr uh, the song by Drill, um, What You Are, which is another song that has a lot of guttural orgasm so sounds in it, yeah. which I remember hearing and being like, oh my gosh. Um, and of course, you also have, you know, Oh Rexy, You're So Sexy <laughs> for Rex Manning Day. <laughs> uh, say No More, Mon Amour. It's oh, all. what a tune. Yeah. Um, it has everything, guys. How can anyone hate this movie? It's it, it's so fun and it's very nostalgic. Now, there's one thing that when I watch it, I'm like, I wish that had gone a different way, which is, I don't think Liv Tyler should have ended up with 
with your man. Like, I think that was a bit too, AJ. like... Yeah, with AJ. I just, like, I mean, I liked it, but I just didn't feel like there was enough going on to justify yeah. this. It's this a short thing. movie. They have to truncate some stuff, I suppose. Stuff, but, you know, yeah. it is a great choice, though. It's a hell of a number one. And my <laughs> number one um, is a film that, I mean, is it a teenage thing? Maybe, I guess so. Another classic case of, like, I'm too young to see this, but I was obsessed with it. My brother was obsessed with it. I stole his CD, all that kind of stuff. And uh, here's the last scene of a film everyone has probably seen about 57 times. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Yes, of course. That is uh, Surf Rider by The Lively Ones. And that is, of course, the uh, hitman uh, Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield exiting the cafe that they are in from Pulp Fiction. Amazing. Quentin Tarantino's Pulp Fiction. Yeah, cliche as hell, choice, predictable. We're all sick to death of it, yada, yada. But I'm sorry. The man does incredible soundtrack and has done so forever and again as a kid who didn't really, I hadn't really had my moment of like, here's what I like yet. And so I'm listening to this soundtrack with, you know, a Neil Diamond cover by a band called Urge Overkill. That's Girl, You'll Be a Woman Soon. You know, Chuck Berry, Dusty Springfield, fucking Al Green, Cool and the Gang. And, you know, it's these aren't the bands that I would fall in love with. But anytime Tarantino would put them in a block for me, I'd be like, well, this is just the greatest thing I've ever heard. And I don't, I think he's maybe never missed with a soundtrack. Even like his lesser, quote unquote, lesser works tend to always have exceptional music in them. So... Yeah, it's a it's maybe an obvious pick for number one, but it had to be it had to be it had to be Pulp Fiction. I just uh, Reservoir Dogs was another one as well. You know, I'm listening to yeah, like, close second. I'd say I'm listening to Stuck in the Middle with You when I'm what like fucking ten or something, and I'm like, why am I obsessed with this song? Because again, and I don't know, I don't I don't know if he rated you know his parents' record collection or his friends' record collection because he steals from the movies, he steals from the music. But I don't know of anyone who can just put them together this well. The greatest DJ in cinema history, that's what I say. It's amazing. I love this soundtrack so much. And it's weird that this is your number one as well, because I have such a flood of nostalgia for this specific soundtrack. Like, I can tell you the first time I watched Pulp Fiction, (laughs) I was 11. And I... Me and my friend, it was the first time that we hopped off from school. So, like, I waited for my mother to leave. We both waited and we hit around the corner. We came in and we were like, what are the, what's the most rebellious fucking thing <laughs> we can fucking do? So we sat and we, like, watched Pulp Fiction and we stole Martini Mix out of my my, parent, my mother's cupboard. At and, 11. Like, at 11, I know. Wild stuff. And then drank that and watched this and was just like... It, it's a lot to take in for an 11 year old. Oh, <laughs> like, yeah. The Gimp scene is like, holy shit. But we, my, my mom bought the soundtrack. She loved that movie as well. Um, and uh, I just ate it. I fell in love with it. I, I, in fact, one of the first times I performed live at school, I sang If Love is a Red Dress no by Marie Yeah. Jesus. Um, that was my. How'd that like, go down? <laughs> uh, 
They were, they didn't really, they were like, whatever. But, um, they're like, she's going to be an artist. She's (laughs) she's going to be an experimental, challenging artist. (laughs) Well, I remember this thing of like being like 15 and locking myself in the bathroom and singing that song over and over until I could do the really weird, like really piercing notes. And I was just like, I love this. I want to sing like this. I want to be her, you know? And I love that. Yeah. It's a passport to nostalgia for me. It is a passport to that time. And I remember again, you know, classic case of like your older siblings have seen this movie they're talking about this movie you're reading Empire Magazine even when you're like 10 or 11 you're like what is this like what is this thing that I need to be a part of somehow even though I'm not the right age quote unquote but like yeah I mean I've been transfixed by it and again a film I've gone back to in recent years and kind of with the the anticipation of like well it won't be that good and it's you know time won't have been kind to it and <clears throat> you know Tarantino etc but I was like no no this is a five star masterpiece in every respect <laughs> and the music is a huge part of it so so, that's nostalgia amazing. for you baby <laughs> <laughs> mm. if I could uh, offer my shouts you can of course yeah. Yeah. I had I had like two were immediate um, two, two were immediate in my head and then there was kind of one that I pulled out myself and Dave were talking about this yesterday um the super bad sound both of them are terribly problematic movies um <laughs> in hindsight so the super bad soundtrack is fan fantastic like if you were to just take that by itself there's like so much original music that was written for that but then there's also like some amazing needle drops in there like Panama by Van Halen is in there Uh, Big Papa by Biggie is in there too like it just like uh, it's so well it's such well placed music supervision like you were talking about earlier Nisha you were saying you know that you can tell when it really lands because you can see the scene almost immediately. You can recount where it was. Um, and then my other one was an, another and arguably, I would say arguably, I'd say definitely infinitely more problematic movie now in hindsight is uh, American Pie 2. <laughs> <laughs> so like, um, again, that had like Blink-182, I think Limp Biscuit was on there. Like there was some absolutely amazing songs in those soundtracks. And then the other one song, there was like one song that's like one particular song in a soundtrack now. And I, I don't think I've ever seen this movie start to finish, but I just, just remember this being like such a kind of moment in like soundtrack kind of zeitgeist for like people around me at the time and like my friends and stuff and what they liked and it was Decode by Paramore from the Twilight soundtrack <laughs> I, I, I love, he sent to me yesterday and I wrote back like was banger. it B space A space <laughs> N space G I was like banger it's so good it's such a good like it, like you know whatever you think about Paramore anything like that or, tw- or Twilight, Twilight yeah. like <laughs> cast that aside this song is inc- like it's an incredible song when the first songs I learned to play properly on the drums. I love the drums. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I yeah, it's like that kind of like, you know, how do we get here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the syncopated the syncopated snare drum so good. Absolutely, absolutely fantastic. Those are my in, initial shows. Yeah, yeah. You, you said you haven't seen Twilight all the way through. Have you seen the scene where they play baseball to Muse's super massive black hole? <laughs> no, but I because that's I feel like I've been told hilarious. about this a lot lately. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lightning um, baseball. Yeah. Right, um, that was a magnificent episode, but was it emotionally magnificent? Well, <laughs> you'll have to go and check out Emotionally Magnificent, the new album by Nishiru. You can do so in the links in the episode notes for you right now. Absolutely, um, yeah. go, go pick up the vinyl, go support Nisha, she's great. Thank you for coming in. 
Donald, thank you for having me. We'll have you back again for sure. And thank you, Adam, for um, bringing my own sense of personal nostalgia every week. <laughs> That's fair. That doesn't really make any that, sense. That was very nice, though. I, I'm taking a lot from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was great. I, I was very much looking forward to this. And uh, having gotten to see the pics beforehand, I was like, there's gonna, there's like such an, a lovely variation, even though there was like a touch of crossover in parts. It, I thought it was, uh, yeah, really fantastic. Really, really good stuff. Awesome. Well, go check out all that music. Go watch all of those movies. They're all pretty good movies, in fairness. You know, we only pick good stuff here, guys. And this is from two former extravision workers. So, yeah, you, know, you have to trust us. That's on that. how it's going to be. Right. Uh, my name is Dave Hanready. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. And we'll be back next week. Take care. Bye bye. <laughs>